Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Reap the Spoils of 2023. I'm Mark Sullivan. I'm Delilah Lugo. I'm Jason Kwasnicki. Happy New Year, guys. We did it. Happy New Year. We uh, we're here and we're going to we're going to celebrate this momentous occasion by talking about a video game that came out uh, last month. And and, uh, Jason, what video game might that be? We're talking about dreams and honor tonight. We're talking about <laughs> Crisis Core. We're talking about the PSP Gaga. masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. Um, Reap the Spoils is a monthly spoiler cast where we pick a game, we play it, and then we spoil the hell out of it. If you have not played the game that we're talking about, I highly suggest you pause the episode, go play that game, and then come back and listen to the episode. Otherwise, we're going to spoil the whole damn thing for you, and nobody wants that. Ideally, you you want to experience these things for yourself before you listen to three schmucks uh, just completely ruin it for you. Um, and with this one, it comes with a little extra homework. It comes with a little extra caveat. While I feel it's unlikely you would have played Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII without having played the original Final Fantasy VII, it's kind of important that you do. And, uh, and and many of you maybe have only played the remake and then played this, no, which go, was a mistake. Go play the original. I mean, yeah. you know, if you played remake and you haven't listened to our episode on remake, go go listen to our episode on remake. But I do pretty clearly lay out in that episode as well. If you haven't played the original, it's kind of a good idea that you do play the original before you jump into remake, before you jump into this that original game is so core to the storytelling and the things that the that these you know surrounding games have to say uh so if you have not played the original final fantasy 7 we're gonna spoil the biggest twist of that game in this episode because that's kind of what this game is about um at the end of the day like it's a pretty important plot point uh so yeah we're going to spoil Final Fantasy VII and Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII. We'll also talk a little bit about Remake, probably closer to the end of the episode. I will telegraph that very well, so in case you have not played Remake, you'll know uh, to you'll you'll know the timestamp to uh, to skip to, so we don't we don't ruin that for you uh, unceremoniously. Uh, the other thing I'll say before we get started is, if you're a longtime Reap the Spoilers listener, thank you so much. It, I would really appreciate it if you make sure to share the show, uh, rate and review the show, like and subscribe, and do all the things that you know the YouTubers usually tell you to do. Uh, just you know, if you love us, show us some love. That's all I'm asking. And if you're a new listener, thank you so much for choosing us, and I hope you enjoy. Not too much right. love. Be fair. Be be uh, confident to criticize where you feel it's warranted. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If if you if you have anything bad to say about us too, if you have any criticism, please let us know. I, I take that I take that very well as well, and and we welcome it. We need it. It's it's how we're gonna grow as podcasters, and how we're gonna grow the audience that listens to us. So please, by all means, share the love. All right, are we ready to talk about Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII? Yes. Starting with the history lesson. Jason, you ready? I I know the history. It's a sad history. <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that sad a history. You're so you're such a Debbie Downer, Jason. Come on. Well, man. I mean Well, I'll let you tell the history, but right, the, I mean, in the notes here, uh, 
crucial component of that history is left out. Well, look, I, I, and I think I know what you're getting at, and we'll get to that. So, all right, let, yeah. let's start off. Hist- brief history lesson of Crisis Score. Here we go. Final Fantasy VII, the original game, released on the Sony PlayStation, the very first <clears throat> PlayStation, the first one ever. Uh, it released in 1997. Uh, in January in Japan, and I think in September in North America, uh, and I think Europe, like, I don't know, a couple months later, I think in November or something. Uh, and Seven was massively successful all over the place. It was, I mean, I I, if, I shouldn't have to tell you the, the significance of that game's release. Uh, commercially and critically successful, won tons of accolades and awards, and it's what popularized Japanese RPGs in the West. I'm sure it's a story everyone's heard a million times before. Um, Over time, uh, and I believe this decision, yeah, this decision was made. It was just prior to Squaresoft merging with Enix, uh, but after the release of Final Fantasy X-2. And it was actually because of X-2's success as a sequel, as a direct sequel to Final Fantasy X, um, they decided, hey, this might be a good way to make money, and what better way to make money off of building off of an existing game than creating or creating a whole compilation centered around a most popular one, Final Fantasy VII, uh, which was headed by Yoshinori Kitase and Tetsuya Nomura uh, of significant fame and much annoyance to Jason. I don't have much problem with Kitase. I think as a creative, he's fine. He, I think he lost his touch over the years. It's mostly Nomura. Well, anyway, um, so the the first the first planned thing in this compilation was actually uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, uh, but it wasn't the first to come out. The first to come out, or at least to begin to come out, was Before Crisis, which was a mobile game on Japanese flip phones, exclusive to Japan, has never been released elsewhere outside of like fan translations, and it never properly got emulated. So it's kind of one of those games that's totally lost to time. And it was released episodically for Japanese flip phones, starring uh, and pretty much centered around the Turks of Shinra. Um, that game, if I remember correctly, was led and directed by Hajime Tabata, who the, thus became the director of uh, of uh, Crisis Core. And his original plan for this game was to port before Crisis to PSP. Um that didn't happen when they decided that the star of this PSP game was going to be Zack. Uh, they transitioned over to a plan for Crisis Core, a prequel game that focused on Zack, you know, just before the events of Final Fantasy VII. Um, Jason, is there anything you want to add before I just close us out? With uh, just, j- just to give context to a lot of confused people <laughs> who are probably, you know, don't understand what you and I were talking about previously. Um, the decision quote unquote, to expand the world and characters. Um, this was an argument that had gone on in the board of square for a long time between then CEO, COO, I'm sorry, uh, Yuichi Wada and then uh, vice president and creator of the series, Sakaguchi Hinorobo Sakaguchi. Uh, Sakaguchi did not believe in sequels. He was philosophically against it. And Uichiwada, who is essentially or was essentially a money man, said, we have all these assets. Why are we wasting money creating new assets? Why don't we reuse assets? We already know it's popular. We can bank on it. Now, for a long time, because he was at that point the golden goose, Sakaguchi held sway over the board and was able to prevent this. That was until he made the fatal 
dumb decision to try and make a movie that flopped and <laughs> lost the company a lot of money. And, and to be clear, that movie wasn't Advent Children. It no. Was a totally it was different movie Final called... Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Yes, and it was <laughs> very, uh, very different. <laughs> hey, it had Steve Buscemi in it, all right? It did have Steve Buscemi in it. But, uh, but anyway, after that, Sakaguchi lost favor with the board. The board decided to go ahead... Um, well, obviously, at that point, they already knew that, and Sakaguchi could see the writing on the wall, so he quietly formed a new company and began the process of stepping down, and then 10 came out, and then after that, you get 10 to, you get average, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, just to close us out with this, I guess this, instead of a brief history lesson, this was a more uh, full one, I, I guess, chalk that up to Jason and I. I just want to, uh, I just want to... I just want to be upfront with that because while I do have a lot of legitimate criticisms of this game that I think you guys are going to share, I do want to admit my personal bias because of how big of a fan I am of Sakaguchi and his, and him as a game developer and the history behind all of this. So there is somewhat of a bias there. At the same time, this game deserves every criticism it's going to get. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And and we're definitely going to talk about that. Um, but anyway, to, to close us out, uh, Crisis Core released in Japan uh, for the Sony PlayStation Portable on September 13th, 2007. It actually didn't come to North America until March 25th, 2008. This was back in the era where a lot of Japanese developers and publishers were not doing a simultaneous worldwide release. Uh, so this game actually came out six months later uh, to the West uh, in, in March 2008. Uh, if you see this episode and you see, I always put the year of the release of, of the games in the title of the of the episodes. Um, you're going to see 2008. I am basing that off the North American release date. That's where I've lived most of my life. So I know it came out in 2007 in Japan. Uh, it was actually a release for the 10th anniversary of, uh, of Final Fantasy VII. So, um, yeah, I, I know. So don't get on my case about it. Uh, and then <laughs> Reunion, the version that all three of us have played, I think it's the only version either of you have played, uh, unless Del- Delilah, you played it on PSP before. I, no, I, I never sure. played the game. I only saw the ending. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, you were kind of forced to in a way uh but we'll talk about that much later um reunion final crisis core final fantasy 7 reunion a uh a a remaster slash like i don't know they they keep calling it like a a remaster sort of remake kind of thing. i i forget what their nomenclature that they keep Rema- a remake a rebirth a reunion a refiddling <laughs> uh, oh i don't say it <laughs> <laughs> but anyway reunion Re- crisis core final fantasy 7 reunion released on december 13th 2022 it's a version we all just played for this episode uh so yeah and it's a version that it's, it's out now it's readily accessible it's easy to get finally crisis core is no longer locked to the playstation portable you can actually buy it and play it uh, on modern consoles, hallelujah! It, finally, because that was th- this was one of those last titles that was like one of the last major uh, PSP games that was just locked to that system. And I say major because it is one of the I, I will say it's one of the better PSP games. It's one of the more respected, well beloved PSP games that was just kind of stuck on that platform. So finally, it's free. It's out of PSP jail. Um, 
yeah, that that's the end of the history lesson. We're final warning. We're about to spoil Crisis Core Final Fantasy Seven. Uh, so if you have not, and by extension Final Fantasy 7. So if you, if you haven't played either of those games, uh please pause, go play those games and then come back and listen to us spoil the crap out of it. And I will I will telegraph uh the remake spoilers later. So if you haven't played remake, don't worry. But you have played these games, don't worry. You can listen to this uh to this episode and I will let you know when to pause, skip and uh, avoid the remake spoilers. Are we ready, guys? Mhm. Let's okay. go. Let's let's go. I mean, let's talk about the ending before the ending, right? Because this game kind of has two endings. It's got the ending to its own its own central story, and then it's got the ending that we all know is coming. Um, so I guess let's talk about the first the first chunk of it all, and this is gonna lead us to talk about <laughs> kind of the core characters of this game. Um, really, let's start by let's start by ta- uh, off by talking just broadly about Genesis. How did you guys feel about Genesis? Why? This is this is really exciting for me, by the way, as someone that is... I've known about this shit for years, and I've always kind of... But, like, no one, no one I've known has really ever played this game, so it's like, I haven't really been able to broadly talk to anyone about it, so this is really exciting for me. <laughs> I mean, I say... I, I can only start by asking the question why, and I will ask it repeatedly. And I, it's a rhetorical question in part because I know why. It's to create content, to create a game, to make money with character designs and a story you already have established that people are going to buy into. I do not understand Genesis. I don't, aside from the fact that he has an inferiority complex with Sephiroth and is degenerating, at any given moment, I don't understand the motives behind what he's doing. He's supposed to be some charismatic guy giving you know, quotes from a play that don't even make sense in the context of the situation <laughs> he's giving them half the time. Well, he, sort of, yeah. Sort of. I understand what they're going for. Still, it doesn't really, unless you're intricately familiar with everything, which well, I, I would assume a lot of people are, like a lot of it's going to go over your head. I think the core yeah. problem with Genesis as a character is he's so he's so built and contingent on the 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 poem that that is a play in universe loveless he's so contingent on that work but we're never fully presented that work um until the very end of the game and only barely uh in the final dungeon you can find fragments of the poem on on these like stones and and throughout the dungeon and like with those you can kind of like piece together the poem uh, and and Genesis' whole thing is he's obsessed with this poem. He loves this poem. And he kind of feels that he, Angeal, and Sephiroth are living it out. Right. They're the three men, the three heroes in the story. And he, Gen- Genesis feels that he is the hero and he is going to find this, what, the goddess of... Uh, the gift of the goddess. The gift of the goddess, thank you. He he is going to find the gift of the goddess at the end, and that's what's going to cure him of his of his uh, 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 degradation. Uh, that he's kind of interpreting this and applying it to his real life situation, um, which you know is very convenient 
I guess you you could look at it as a as a very convenient plot device that right. oh he happens to be friends with two other guys and they're they're they have this big epic situation oh it's just like this poem I read and I'm obsessed with um but yeah that's that's kind of the core of the the core issue with his character is just we we, we don't have much context behind Loveless outside of the billboard that's in Final Fantasy VII that we right. see. And him spouting re- random lines every time you run into him. Yeah, for to give a to give a good comparison, it's not like for Final Fantasy fans, it's not like Opera Maria and Draco from Final Fantasy VI, where there's a very clear parallel being drawn between one of the main characters' arcs and a play that you are watching unfold that they are acting in. Right. And like. <laughs> They're kind of going. I mean, they're trying to catch lightning twice, and that—that's essentially what this is, right? They're, yeah. They are. This is applying to their scenario in a way. Genesis is kind of misunderstanding and misrepresenting it, but it is applying. It's just very hard to follow when it just happens sporadically throughout the game. It's never cohesively provided to the player, and. Even even the other characters in the story are annoyed by it. Yeah, ostensibly, aside from that, you know, the Loveless motivation, his immediate motivation is to stop the degradation, which is being caused by the experimental genetic mutations that went on. Yeah, and I want to center on that for a moment. Did you guys catch that your first go around? Yes, like, I, I yeah. understood. I understood okay. that, like, okay, these guys are an older generation of soldier. It didn't work out well. There was, it wasn't Hojo didn't do it. It was some other lesser guy or something like that. There was well, a conflict, th- okay. Whatever. Let me let me be clear. Like that whole aspect, I, I I gathered pretty easily. It's when they start involving Angel's mother and how Genesis fits into all that. I I don't know why I just didn't follow it. I was a little confused as to how that all applied. And like, yeah, to double back. Project G is not Project Genesis. It's yes. Project Jillian, Angel's yes. mom, and that this is kind of where things start to tie into Final Fantasy VII. Where well, I, I'm pretty sure don't as when you first meet Jillian, I'm pretty sure they show her name in the subtitles, and that was kind of my first clue into it. I think. Well, yeah, yes, and also um, just her demeanor. She didn't seem particular. I mean, she seemed worried but she was more sad and regretful than like freaking I mean, out like a mother there could be any number of reasons for that <laughs> but she, i mean yes the dialogue in this game is god awful but like the <laughs> vibe i got from her when i walked in being charitable was that she had a deeper understanding of what was going on yeah okay so i was kind of clued into it and then they kind of confirmed it okay Delilah's or yeah no I was just gonna say um my bigger issue with Genesis as a a character period is that I feel like they tried to make him so important but for me he wasn't and he's not he's not right like he's like the last boss and then he's not dead but then we just don't know like what happens and so I'm hoping that for like remake's sake that maybe they'll bring him back in a way that feels substantial, not just like, oh, he's I, back and, and I, he's still I, annoying and not important. I, I hope know? to God they don't. I was well, infuriated <laughs> that they inserted him into the Nibelheim incident scene. 
so so he that yeah well me. that i think was going a step too far especially because um they made changes to the nibbleheim incident when there, there was an anime uh, a, a brief anime that was released called last order final fantasy 7 that made some I don't want to say drastic. It made some changes to the Nibelheim incident and they received a lot of backlash from fans about that. So when developing this game and knowing that that incident was going to play a role in the plot, they, they kind of wanted to make sure that they didn't t- uh, step on any toes there. And yet they still kind of did. The only benefit of the doubt I can give the uh, the, the scenario writers on this what is the fact that our recollection of the Nibelheim incident in Final Fantasy VII uh, is entirely predicated on uh, secondhand, uh, secondhand Un- knowledge. Multiple unrelatable narr- unreliable right. narrators, and, not and just like, cloud. Yeah, even the even the, the even the area wh- where Genesis walks in and talks, Cloud isn't present in the room during right. that scene. Right. So he very well when he recalls the, the incident and pretends that he's you know in that scenario in final fantasy 7 scenario he just might not he, he he had no idea genesis was there so i could see them getting away with it under that pretense um but it's still yeah i i kind of agree with you jason it still kind of bothered me like this is a character frankly i just don't i simply don't like and they're inserting him into this into this very key point of final fantasy 7's plot that leads to its biggest uh, its biggest twist uh, he he doesn't belong there i don't want him there he's also he's also extremely just stupid there are so many incidents in cutscenes where he can clearly just kill zach which he has every reason to do because again his immediate goal was to stop the degradation and zach was in his way and there are just so many times and then well, he just said, if he I'll wasn't... die, I'll take the planet with me, which I guess goes back to the play. But again, it's so vague. And yeah, if... to be fair, Zach wasn't in his way for like the the entirety of the game. Not but the entirety. I, I get your point. But that's also kind of like that's kind of just like a, a common a common plot trope with a lot of these kinds of things. Right? I, I mean, like... he he really just exists because Sephiroth doesn't become the antagonist until a good chunk through and they can't keep him as the antagonist. And it's really yeah, all the only reason he exists. It would be like, it would be like if the final boss came a whole, an entire act too soon, like right. Genesis kind of like separated, like taking yourself out of the plot a little bit. Like Genesis is basically there to give Zach his own villain. Um, so they don't just rehash Sephiroth and try to shove Sephiroth into situations he shouldn't be in. Cloud yeets him into the into the uh the, the Mako reactor. He's not coming back until the middle the midpoint of Final Fantasy VII. They're not and they didn't try to they didn't try to fuck with that. And that I at least appreciate. But Genesis is still he doesn't serve as a particularly good villain, in my opinion, and it sounds like in your guys' opinion too. No. Yeah, honestly, like going into the game, I have for years tried to refrain from touching any of the compilation material and just keep the memory of the original, which I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and say Advent children but, is worth your time, but that's maybe just, my Oh, I, I've seen Advent children okay, at this point. Okay. I have seen it. I have criticisms. I understand why some people like it, but 
it, it is what it, at, at yeah. least it's at least it's continuing rather than changing i don't know yeah anyway um but uh like going into this like my i had i knew nothing about it other than obviously where it ends and the original final fantasy 7 so my uh, i always thought that this game would have it would basically be just Zack rising through the ranks like in the war with Wu-Tai. I thought the war with Wu-Tai would play a far more role, which would make sense from a world-building perspective. And he would have his mentor character. That, you know, it, it, I think that just would have worked fundamentally better than finding a need to give him like this singular antagonist that is somehow connected to everybody. Sephiroth, his mentor, Zack, uh, even Cloud to some extent, I guess. I don't know. It's just, uh... yeah, I I agree with you. the 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 war with Wu Tai is used as a plot device for all of one chapter. Um, it really it would have been better if that was the focus throughout the entire game, and it could have built the relationship between Angel and Zach a whole lot more. Um, it's a it's a core uh point uh point in, in history for Final Fantasy VII. Uh, that isn't really explored until this game, and even this game, it's hardly explored. And no, then... it's just used for side quests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you end the war after chapter one, and it's just like, oh, gotta kill the remnants of the Wu-Tai. <laughs> oh, man, Yuffie, those, Yuffie those sent Wu- me another email. <laughs> and those Wu-Tai soldiers, man, they are fond of building lots of trap doors in their fortresses. Oh my yeah. god, it's like every wall you press a button and it just flips around and there are soldiers on the other side. Oh, well, their... yeah. It's actually funny when you think about it from like a practical perspective, building your defensive fortifications as a maze like and having to get your own soldiers to the front lines. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I, I do want to bring up about Genesis is, because he weirdly going into this game has a history of his own. Um and I don't know how much you guys know about this. Uh, the secret ending to Dirge of Cerberus, a spinoff game that came out, I think about two, one to two years prior to Crisis Core, um, actually was the debut of Genesis, where um, the main villain of that game uh, comes and finds him, and, and or Genesis finds him, I forget. Uh, and he was portrayed by Japanese rock star Gact. Yes, I, I read composed, about this. Who composed two songs for Dirt of Cerberus' soundtrack. Um, and then, yeah, they they wanted to, with Christ, bring, developing Crisis Core, they wanted to bring Genesis back and ask Gact if he wanted to, if he wanted to reprise his role and do the voice work, Japanese voice work, and he did. So, yeah, this character is heavily based, in appearance and everything, he's heavily based on a Japanese rock star. Um, who uh, also wore Genesis's outfit for a lot of his concerts surrounding the era of these games coming out. Oh, cool. So, fun, fun bit of trivia. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Genesis has a has a history going even going into this game. It's a very small one, but still. Um, but anyway, yeah, going back to Genesis's fate after you beat him, um, he I, he gets the gift of the goddess. And I, Delilah, I, cause I know, I know Jason didn't go and do all 300 missions to actually fight Minerva. I, I um, thought going into this that I was going to be ready to do a bunch of side content. I did two missions and I was like, nah, <laughs> which I guess we can talk about later. Yeah. 
yeah, we'll talk about that later. But Delilah, I guess, I guess the implication is, and from what I, from my research, from what I can tell, is that it was just another, it was just another materia to summon, uh, to summon Minerva, this, this, this goddess summon, and that's that was essentially the gift of the goddess. Somehow, miraculously, that's what that that cured his degradation. Right. Yeah. And... It, yeah. I just assume that it going into the like the whole live stream thingy. I just assume that that was just a way to like make her a summon. I didn't really get it to be honest. It was it really just... vague. Yeah. Yeah, I found it weird that you get that cutscene where he walks towards the goddess and she gives him a glaring look, and then it's like almost implied that she takes his spirit into the light and absorbs it into the live stream, mm-hmm. and then his body is just there, and then Zach carries it out. So I'm like, okay, so he's dead and. Zach wants to bury him with like soldier on or whatever. And then he just wakes up and starts talking. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's a little unclear. It's a little vague. And I think intentionally so. And I, I kind of always wondered and had and, and, and felt that there was there were plans to do more with him in the future. And I guess those plans just never came to fruition. They never did another Final Fantasy seven compilation thing um besides remake you know so yeah very well rebirth or whatever the third remake game very well might do something with this character because dirge of cerberus introduced him and dirge of cerberus um uh uh, uh what, what's the word i'm looking for chronologically speaking is the last thing to happen in this universe um mm-hmm. that happens three years after the original game so for him to be in the secret ending alive awake and um returning so to speak as the the line the last line of uh loveless kind of implies well at the at, um, the, at the in the ending series of cutscenes, don't um don't reno and rude like recover his body or somebody so one was the turks it's not reno and rude it's white vice and nero from yeah. deep ground the two guys that are oh, in um, okay. that are in uh dirt of cerberus i'm sorry and they I- I think I'm confusing it because in the next cutscene, Reno and Root are like looking yeah. for Cloud. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, Genesis Genesis's fate is left really vague, and uh, yeah, he's kind of a crappy villain anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they're gonna make Genesis important in the remake. Of course I they really are. Do. I just have a feeling. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk more about. Actually, I, I, I'm interested to see because Nomura is is not uh, part of the second one, is he? Part two. I think so. I thought he stepped back. I thought he was no longer director. I think he's well. Yeah, I, I don't think he's as involved as he was, but I, I'm sure he'll still be involved in a significant way. Because Genesis kind of, is uh, like is it very obviously a chance for or an excuse for Nomura to draw a very ridiculous character, but which he loves doing. But uh, I mean, amongst other things, but um, like I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm. I'm curious. I mean, may the gods be good that we don't get Genesis in any more yeah, Final well, Fantasy products. We'll we'll talk we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about uh the the future for Genesis potentially uh at, at the end of the episode uh before we get too right. much into too deep into remake stuff. All right, let's let's move on to the uh the, the second ending so to speak of, of this game, which is kind of what we all knew was coming. Um and I, I, this is something I actually want to talk a little positively about because I, um, my my partner just played through Final Fantasy VII, and I 
know the ins and outs of that game pretty well. So I had and and the scene where you see Zach uh, die is actually completely optional, hidden and not obvious to see in the original game. Um, you have to right. go kind of out of your way to really find out anything about Zach other than he was another person that was at mid uh, at uh, Nibelheim during the Nibelheim incident. And he's who cloud is confusing himself with. So when you see the scene of Zach dying in seven, he just kind of gets shot off screen and like falls back back onto screen and two soldiers come up and just like uh, Shinrock grunts, I should say. Uh, just kind of shoot him up, and that's kind of it. So I really like what they did here, where it's not just two grunts, but it's an entire army of people, and he's basically fighting for his life. How did you guys? How did you guys feel about this sequence? This this final sequence. I feel like the entire game did not deserve this ending. Yeah, it's it's, the, it's basically, aside from, I can't even say the Nibelheim incident because they inserted Genesis into it. It's really the only part of the game that I could really appreciate at all because it was faithful. They didn't change. I mean, aside from embellishing, as you just said. Yeah. Um, but I embellishing mean, is like, that's okay if, they, if yeah. they make meaningful embellishments. And I feel like they really did here. They did. And... Here's my problem. <laughs> Zach Fair in Final Fantasy VII is not a character. He is an idealization in both Aerith and Cloud's minds. He is Aerith's first love when she was young and is idealized by her. And he is the idealized version of a hero that Cloud is not but wishes he could be, which is part of what caused, aside from the trauma, obviously, of what happened, is part of what causes this identity crisis, psychotic break, what have you. Yeah. And that is further illustrated by the end of the game where Cloud just embraces the fact that he isn't this stoic, you know, distant gruff. He is a goofball. And he embraces it, and he there's back and forth where the party makes fun of him and the things he says as the game reaches its climax, which is showing Cloud embracing who he really is, not this idealized hero that Zack is. And for me, as much as I appreciate them being faithful and, and adding those extra pieces to make Zack look like a hero in the end, everything that comes before it, in my mind, making Zack an actual character is not only unnecessary, but harms the original story. That's my hot take. I don't know that I'd go that far. I think if if the story was better, right? Like if they if there were other reasons to make Z to to present Zach and, and build up his character, I feel like your perception might be different. Maybe, maybe. I would hope That's I would fair. hope that it would be because I, I don't think it I don't think it colors the the original game in a negative way. I, I think it's just they they did make Zach into a more interesting character with this game. They just did it in a really really poor poorly conducted and just meandering and and a plot with a really bad antagonist. I mean the thing like now when I think of Zach instead of associating him with this mysterious hero that Cloud looks up to, he's the guy who fucking does squats all the time. Like he'll just be <laughs> having conversations with people and break into squats. <laughs> Yeah. 
He shouldn't I, need the Buster Sword at that point. I mean, this is be able to fight with his ass. I, I, I know people. I know people who listen to you know this podcast regularly will get tired of me making these comparisons, but I do it because everybody's seen it. Oh it's boy, here we the go. Darth Vader Anakin Skywalker dilemma. Do you really need to know? All right. How Darth Vader became Darth Vader. I don't. Which is it's it's a little different, but like you get my point. Yes, because George Lucas had been planning to do. I know. To show I that. know that. Yes, I know. I've read the original, original Star Wars 1970 script. It's like 300 pages long. Yeah. Like, it has like, the entire saga mapped out in it. Yeah, I know. Right, right. So, like, it's it's not it's not quite the same because at least George Lucas had always had that plan. He'd always had that written. I'm, and I'm eventually... Not, I'm not saying ahead. that it's... I'm not saying it's a one-for-one one comparison. I'm just trying to give something I know, for people and, to and understand. And yeah. you have a negative, you have a very negative feeling about prequels in general. And, and I, yes, for the I record, do. I, I completely agree. This is not a good prequel because it, it tells a complete, it ostensibly tells a completely unrelated story. Messily tries to tie it in with previous lore that we've already known about, and then just ends on an arbitrary ending that it knows that it's heading towards. Uh, that again is pretty disconnected from, from everything that this game, everything that this game ha- itself has to offer, it, the whole last act is just, it's presented because it has to be presented. Whereas if they had done something that would have led them, like, you know, do the Wu-Tai War and then lead into uh, into increased monster activity out in the plains, and that's what leads them to Nibelheim. That's the reason they go to Nibelheim in the first place. But they, they kind of try to tie in this whole Genesis copy and the Genesis uh, army with the whole idea and and well at that at that point you think genesis is dead well it's, so it's not just genesis copies it's also angel copies that are just running amok that's what they're kind of trying how they're trying to tie things together and it's a mess like yeah. there were easier and more organic ways to do this and i don't want to get hung up on what this game isn't because i think right. that's a really bad it, way of, of criticizing something yeah i made but, similar comments about remake how i actually you know, as much as I didn't like that game, I did praise the way they handled the Wu-Tai lore, like the Wu-Tai conflict lore. Yeah. And embellished on it. And had this game been, you know, just about the Wu-Tai war and then leading into the events we know, I probably would have appreciated it more. That and better writing. But yeah. yeah. I think the thing is, even the parts of the game that were a little more interesting, the relationships, such as the relationship between Zack and Angeal and um even zach and Aerith, i feel like they could have done more to like flesh out those relationships yeah and they just didn't do enough where that ending like i said felt earned you know like you see Aerith, like you know with the rain and stuff like that you know it's emotional but you just don't have that like historical background to feel the weight of it as much as i at least wanted to no i i I completely agree like i said i I feel like this whole the, the whole third act of this game at least the aspects that that are inherited from uh Final Fantasy 7 the original game like they feel like a totally different a, a totally different universe almost you know yeah. and and i know it's it, it's partly because it's what we're most intimately familiar with it's what we've seen before it's what we it's what we know and what we've come to expect when get, going through this game but that's it it's it's like in stark contrast with that's like the good shit in this game and it's surrounded by all sorts of you know what the fuck shit it's just yeah 
it's just really a mess. But I, I do, I do want to keep talking about the last stand because there is, there is an aspect that I at first wasn't sure I liked, and the more I think about it, the more I actually appreciate it. Um, I want to talk about the good presentation, like the only instance where, or the only instances I should say, uh, where I actually appreciated the DMW system. Oh yeah, this kind of reminded me a little bit of Doki Doki Literature Club. Yeah, was it Doki uh, like Doki Doki and like Near Automata a little bit, just in the way that they use the UI to like demonstrate an emotion. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. When it, I don't want to spoil I, either what those games do with what yeah. you're saying, but I totally see what you're saying and I totally agree. Like the DMW stands for Digital Mind Wave, and it's basically a representation of Zach's memories, feelings, and thoughts, and you kind of progress that uh, throughout the game and we'll talk about the bad when we talk about more gameplay systems, but you kind of progress that by just seeing memories and thoughts and feelings of Zach's as like through natural kind of naturally through gameplay. And you get like these random memories, certain story events will heighten his emotions for a certain character and whatnot. And then during the last stand, like all his mind kind of begins to break as he's, taking more damage taking more uh hurt from from the shinra soldiers it's i i wasn't sure i liked it at first because it seemed kind of cheesy but when i think about it in like the meta contextual way that it's presenting it i kind of love it mm-hmm. it's really really neat <laughs> conceptually i love it but once again had they deep digger bigger <laughs> had they deep digger <laughs> i can't speak dig, had dig they deeper. deep bigger Right. Deep, bigger, deep, 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 deeper. deeper. Yes. Oh man. Sorry, guys. I had a hard day. It's okay. um, <laughs> you know, it's it's only about to get harder. We're gonna talk for like another hour about crisis. Had they core. digged deeper into those relationships throughout the story, that yeah. moment would have felt so much more impactful. Because you're right, it is conceptually very interesting the way it, like melded with gameplay too. It just like it was neat, but. It, it didn't have as much weight as it could have. Yeah. And like the way that it, it kind of, it starts with the characters, like all, all the characters in the D, DMW, they're obviously there because they're somewhat close to Zack. And I really liked how like the first ones to go are the, the ones furthest from him in terms of like importance. And that thus leads to the last, the last face to disappear as he's just totally deteriorating in battle is Aerith. And it's also kind of a like a ex, not expectation. They get because Aerith's uh, limit break is the healing wave, so like it almost builds that anticipation that he's going to get a second wind, and then yeah, you know, doesn't yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is uh, it is clever. It is a very like near thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's almost like you'd almost think they consulted Yoko Taro. Like, how can we make <laughs> what what like kind of neat thing can we do to make this game somewhat tolerable or thought provoking? <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, like I, I, I. The more I thought about that happening, the more I kind of loved it. And at the end, Zach is just like you press the attack button and it's like, it's laborious for him to swing the buster sword and he can't kill the soldiers. Like he can do damage to them, but they just won't go down and they just keep shooting at him and beating him down until it's done. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, they obviously, they, yeah, it they... reminds me of the, the microwave hall. Yeah. The, oh God. Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, 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 
Speaking God, of I, games that use the interface and gameplay to, yeah. Yeah, I almost don't want to bleep that out because I think that's a really good comparison. I don't. Well, I didn't specify, and I just. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll leave yeah. it in. I'll leave it in. I because unless it. unless you know what I'm talking about, you're not gonna pick. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just say if you know, you know. Um. Yeah, and and then so they make they make the whole they and they bel- they embellish cloud. Uh, they actually give a converse a final conversation between cloud and Zach. Um, and kind of embellish that ending. Obviously, it's the end of the game, so they have to have like a very dramatic, sweeping uh, uh, sequence to lead into the credits. Uh, and I think it was really effective. Like, yeah, I, I forget which one of you said it, but this this game does not deserve this ending. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> Delilah, yeah. Delilah said, okay, that's what I thought when I was 100%. That, sure. that should just be the title of the video when we put it on YouTube and put the podcast. Yeah. It was. Good job, uh, Delilah. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's an ending out of obligation, but not an uh, not an ending that this game really necessarily deserved. And there are ways it could have earned it. There are ways it could have deserved it, but they didn't really do that. And they probably at this point they never will. Um, yeah. And I guess I, I, and I guess we can just mention it now because I don't want to see a note for it. But uh, given that this cloud is integral to this ending, the minimal appearance of cloud, while it does make sense story wise given the original game, if you were going to embellish Zack's character and build up this ending to be more, you needed more Cloud and Zack relationship. So what I'll say on that and what I'll say about the relationships that Zack has kind of with these other characters, they are there. This is where the flaws of the DMW system come in, where there's a lot of like core scenes that are building up his relationships with these characters that are part of the random nature of the DMW. So, Jason, you probably didn't see like oh 75... shit, I skipped. I skipped every every time it gave me the option well, for triangle to skip things. Oh no 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 no! no. It it wasn't it wasn't those. They they would happen where like you see the 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 light kind of sweep in and then it gives you a cutscene briefly. Oh yeah, I thought that was referencing something from earlier in the game. I had no idea that was something totally well, different. Well, they technically are referencing things but like things that you haven't seen they're at they're actually added scenes of so basically it's like stuff in those time jumps in the game yeah okay. yeah or it's just like s- scenes that would happen like you can kind of think like narratively speaking and me- uh, meta contextually speaking that like while character like in older final fantasies while characters are traversing the open world like they're not doing it in silence right they're probably talking to one another and the same could be said here when Zack's like out in the streets like they're not gonna inundate you with cutscenes. like potentially who knows he could be having conversations during those times when you're walking around and that's kind of what the dmw is trying to show that like in those time jumps in those times where you're walking around midgar maybe there's things that are actually like story things that are actually happening the problem is they're all randomized and all presented via the dmw system so unless you luck out and get those scenes or actively trying to get them you're not gonna see them and this was especially apparent to me um, with Sephiroth's entry in the DMW because there's a whole journey to the Nibelheim Mako reactor from Nibelheim to that reactor in the original game. Um, like you fall, you fall down off the bridge and like have to take a different way through the caves and 
you learn about how materia is created that scene is in is in this game it's just mm-hmm. one of those randomized dmw cutscenes that you might not see right yeah i you, you just get like a montage in the actual game or not the actual game but like the actual cut the cutscene leading up to the nibble i don't i don't even think there's really much of anything i think you just you have to you do like the walk and that's kind of it yeah that's what i meant by the montage it's uh tifa taking pictures or whatever or not tifa somebody taking pictures of tifa guiding you yeah you do see that you do see the picture of the three of them get taken but like the journey to the reactor isn't really presented the same way that it's presented in the original game and the scenes that you would expect to see are kind of in the dmw um so like obviously jason didn't see them and i that's kind of where i take an issue with a a lot of aspects of the dmw system but we'll talk i did not even realize that that was a thing until you just said it now yeah we'll talk we'll talk more about the dmw the flaws of the dmw later but that that that, that's an important thing i wanted to bring up to because to your point jason like those would have helped bring up or those would have helped build those relationships and with cloud especially like their scenes of them being pals there's scenes of them talking. There's scenes of Zach looking out for him when he's not feeling well. There's scenes. There, I think there's one or two when they're running away in the after the climax of the game. Yeah, that that stuff is just randomized. You might not see it unless you're trying to see it. It's one of those things where, like, like I said before, I prefer Cloud not really having a relationship with Zach and having an idealized vision of him. But if this is the direction they're going with the game, then yeah, you need more cloud. And if it is in the DM, DMW, WMD, whatever it is, <laughs> um, then that's kind of an issue. Yeah. Um, and I I liked the way they presented cloud in in this game. Like he's ob- like they, I I they presented him exactly the right way. In right. when you get they to Nibelheim. They presented him like he is at the end of the original, when he embraces who he really is. Yeah, he's plucky, he's upbeat, he's... Mm -hmm. And when you get to Nibelheim, like, he's obviously very nervous and anxious because he left there with a specific goal in mind, and he hasn't achieved that goal. Um, I think one of the DMW sequences... No, it might be, um... It might have just been an email, and I'm kind of disappointed we didn't actually get to see this in the game, um, like he was like, Hey, can you maybe want to go over with me to have dinner with my mom? Um, like, oh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, there is some relationship building there. It's just, yeah, it's not outwardly presented very well to the, to the player. And that's kind of disappointing. And, uh, that extends to other characters and we'll, we'll talk about them shortly, but I don't know. I think, I think overall Zach was presented as he was presented as a good enough character in this game i feel i i i did yeah, grow to like him a lot likable mm-hmm. yeah like he's um, just like very dedicated very goofy and uh he he's just willing to do anything to help people like he goes above and beyond and it's like admirable yeah. but once again like his who he is could have been extended more through the relationships yeah I, I will also add there's been a lot of controversy surrounding and we'll talk more about this when we talk about the differences in versions, but there's been a lot of controversy talking about his uh his voice work in Reunion versus his original voice actor. Um, yeah. It's I not mean, good. 
well, it's not great. Look, I don't, I didn't have a problem. Well, no, I, I like, I didn't have a problem with it at first. Um, it did. It is, in my opinion, it is objectively worse than the original voice work. Um, but like, if you're really that upset about it, get over it. Zach Gomez is not gonna be voicing Zach again, and it's a shame, but it is what it is. So embrace it. Yeah, I, it definitely feels like uh, the voice actor could use some improvement, though, because he felt very like, yeah, guys, let's go do this. And I don't know, it felt very old school, but like not in a good way. It felt what like- are you doing, Genesis? Where's your honor? <laughs> it felt like he um was trying to emulate the original voice overwork by Zach Gomez a little too closely, and as a result, it just feels very forced yeah, rather than him forced. putting, and I believe the voice actor is for this, uh, for Zach this in, in this game and, uh, is, uh, Caleb Pierce. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't, like I said, be, I don't, I, be, I don't think it's that bad, but yeah, ahead. to be fair to the voice actors, they're not really given great material to be working with here. Yeah. Well, that's not. <laughs> so even the good true. voice actors, like, and I think it's also especially grating because unlike the original version of Crisis Core, basically every line is voiced. Right. Where it, maybe 40% of what's voiced in this game was what was voiced in the PSP game. Right. Like it was a significantly smaller amount of voice work. Yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize like nowadays it might seem inconvenient for people to hit X through text boxes, but there was a magic to reading the dialogue that voice acting doesn't always achieve and having to write scripts for voice acting doesn't always achieve. Yeah. There's, there, there, there's something special about inferring your own tone. Yes, and exactly. Your own performance in your head. Especially um, with a character like Cloud, who is very much supposed to, you know, in his struggle to be like this iconic hero and is actually a goofball that's pretty much, you know, the same thing as uh, the player or most players like in, you know, who are kids growing up playing this game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's let's move on and talk about some other characters, uh, unless there's anything else you guys wanted to add about Zack and Cloud. Um, um, I mean, at this point. Well, I guess we can wait till we talk about Angel to talk about the significance of the Buster that, Sword. That, that's who I'm going into next. Okay. So, mm-hmm. if, if, yeah, I, I I figure we'll talk about all three of them consecutively because, yeah, the Buster Sword is obviously a, an iconic piece of weaponry in, in video games in general, but especially in, in Final Fantasy VII. Um, and in this game, it's, it's built up even more. Totally not taken from Berserk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> um, I just want to. I just want to. You know, especially the guy. The dude just passed away. Yeah. Give him his respects. His his uh, fair due. What did you guys? How did you guys uh, feel about Angeal? Um, but and I under, I understand. A lot of the problem is we don't spend a lot of time with these characters, mm-hmm. and what we do spend is like locked behind DMW. I get that. I know that's going to be a criticism that hangs over every conversation we have regarding these characters, but with what is presented, with what, with what you did see, how did you feel about Angel as a character, as a mentor to Zach? I feel like his relationship with Zach was probably the most substantial of any other relationship, simply because 
Um, he definitely felt like a father figure slash mentor initially. And then there was this mystery of like, you know, where, you know, where he went and what he was doing before we found out like what happened to him. Yeah. Um, and then like when he finally died and like, you know, like said, you know, the Buster sword is like yours to wield. It, it felt more impactful than like anything else aside from the very end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree that it's definitely the most substantial relationship and it, in terms of character development, um, it, that arc obviously has the most impact on Zach as a character even if they show or kind of like speed through it in like a montage of him crying uh, when we get to the part, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But again, weighed down by weird nebulous dialogue in order to be a hero, you need to have dreams and honor. It's pretty vague and nebulous. Like, uh, like just weird. And and there are some, there are some genuine, there are some genuine good nuggets. Like uh, when he says, uh, you're more important than my sword just a little bit. Like that yeah. is a genuinely good line. Um, again, I, I, but as the game goes on, I start to have, even though I like Angela as a mentor, I have the same problem that I have with inserting Genesis in that. So he, Angela has the same fundamental problem of the degradation. And at yeah. first it seems like Gen or Angel betrays soldier goes to help Genesis but over the course of the game, it seems like at times Genesis and Angel are in conflict and Angel is working with you. And then at times he's working with Angel. It's very confused and I don't understand what yeah. exactly he's doing. It, it kind of feels like, sorry, I, sorry, Jason. Uh, no, I, I I don't even know where I'm, I was going because <laughs> I like, I, I don't really get it. And then it ends with like a copy of him being possessed by the director of soldier. Like I, I really, you know, like they started well, off with a good foundation for what could have been a great character, and it just spiraled. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Andriel starts off so promising. Like he, yes, he, exactly. He comes off as such a great mentor to Zach. That line that you that, that if you didn't single out that line, Jason, I would have because that line is fantastic. It's the, the best piece of, of dialogue in the entire game. Yeah, yeah. It it it's it's a great character moment, and it's 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 it, it builds up their relationship so well. Um, before it's kind of assassinated by Angel leaving and you not seeing him for a while and only right. sporadically until he dies. Um, and yeah, I, they they it it does feel like he. I guess I guess the implication is that the the the, the subplot behind Genesis's like core plotline is that Hollander, the, the the person leading Project G, and he has an inferiority complex like Genesis does with to Sephiroth, there's a parallel there between Hollander and his inf- uh, inferiority complex with Hojo. Right. Um, both of which were the scientists that led the, their respective projects, le- like re- revolving around those two people. And it seems like Angeal is, is kind of in conflict with just like, I, 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 I guess the, the implication is he says he's conflicted about whether or not, to enable Genesis and Hollander to take their revenge, and by extension Lazard, to take their revenge on Shinra. Um, but yeah, it, it just... It, he inevitably, a few chapters later, after we, us not really seeing him or doing any much with him, he, he decides to help Zack, and in the end, after you seemingly kill Genesis, 
he just labels himself as a monster as part of you know the experiment he's gone through and basically forces zach to kill him by merging with a bunch of his own copies Mm -hmm. it's it's a little weird yeah very weird yeah in in general i i I just want to say i had this as its own bullet point i think uh oh i i as part of as part of another but like the pseudoscience in this game like it like i said i asked earlier if you guys were following like what this game's plot was trying to say with regards to the copies just because i i kind of didn't i had to do a little bit of reading but like the that mostly is contingent on i wasn't sure what the difference was between the pro i wasn't initially sure what the difference was between project s and project g and the the difference is ultimately that it was it was a difference in how they applied Genova cells to to the 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 fetuses that that they um injected them with right right Sephiroth was a direct injection of Genova cells in the womb right. whereas it was Jillian right they Jillian womb, yeah. she was injected with Genova cells and then her cells were passed through to angeal naturally through birth and injected into genesis um rather than just genova cells and that's like what led to the degradation but like it's it's just so silly and yeah uh, that, that's kind of all i have to say about it it's 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 very silly it's very roundabout and convoluted unnecessary what unnecessarily more, yeah like, what more it's, can i say it's like expansion of lore or not even expansion just added chunks of lore that are unneeded serve no purpose and just confuse the player yeah but it does like that's the long roundabout explanation as to why angeal and and genesis can create copies of themselves the reason angeal can copy himself onto monsters or people is because he was a natural born child from Jillian. It, it, again, a weird explanation, but whatever. I guess we will take it. You know, while we're talking about the science and the degradation, can I just make an or and ask your guys' opinion on this? I find it extraordinarily stupid. So for for people who don't know, or maybe I just need to remind you, the one wing angel concept that was just Sephiroth's yeah. final boss design in the original game. It was just a cool final boss design. Now we have an entire game where all the main antagonists, well, then the mentor, all have the one wing and it's like different colors, which is supposed to like, you know, be a foil for Sephiroth. It's like, understand when something like was cool and worked in small doses, like keep it simple. Like, you don't need to just keep hammering wings and feathers well, and <laughs> it wasn't necessarily just <laughs> it wasn't necessarily just that it was a it was a cool I get the design. symbology. I get the symbology. Yeah, of like it, there, but... there's there it became a symbol, right? For for Sephiroth's status as this as this fucked up experiment conducted by uh his evil scientist father. Yeah, the, the disgraced hero, the fallen angel, and yeah. who is trying to become a guy or well with right. Genova, yeah. They they lean they I agree that they do lean way too far into it in this game and it, it kind of loses a lot of meaning when they just keep they keep rehashing it and forcing it onto these other characters. Um I kind of do wonder if that was kind of forced on because of the popularity of Sephiroth and Cloud's designs in Kingdom Hearts. 
Cloud is also given a one wing in in King in uh, Kingdom Hearts. So <laughs> Jason's face right now. I forgot about that. Yeah. I had I have a, that I have from a, my memory. I have Jesus a figure Christ. of it if you want me to pull it down. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I kind of wonder if they were like, oh yeah, the, the one wing concept that's really hot with the kids. Let's let's uh, yeah, let's keep I mean, that going. It's only cool when it's with Sephiroth. Okay, even like <laughs> like my partner doesn't like play Final Fantasy, but yeah. he's aware of the one wing angel because Kenny Omega, who's his favorite wrestler, embodies like in his character sephiroth and the one-winged angel and stuff like that Plus, so when it's, a, he... it's an iconic piece of music too let's not forget. right exactly and in actually at the most recent wrestle kingdom kenny omega came out with like the one wing and um the the i mean with sephiroth's outfit and the music and everything he like actually paid for that song to be in his entrance but anyway um the point is, is that he saw me playing crisis Core. he was like wait why does everyone else have one wing <laughs> 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 and I was like, I, I mean, know. This is, this is my point. Is is it? it, it I mean, it, Crisis Core isn't going to make the one winged angel design lose like it's, but like it it starts to numb you to it. And yeah, it goes. I, mean, I, I, I get it, it. it. It goes back to the original design, or not design, but um, conception of Sephiroth that they didn't show him for so long in the original game because they wanted it to be like Jaws, where you imagine what Sephiroth is, and it kind of builds it up. And, and then it's almost you, like, and Kitase himself said that, so it's like it's almost yeah. like he completely forgot that. <laughs> and even, uh, and even when, um, yeah, even in the original, when you do see when you do see Sephiroth, there's still like uh, there's a, there's still an air of mystery about it because it's not really him, you know? Right, exactly. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree that it's it's frustrating and weird and, and start to lose meaning when you see it done on so many different characters. Yeah. Um, but ba- okay. back to, sorry, go ahead. Zara. I was just going to say, going back to Angel's character, yeah. <laughs> um, he's, he's the one character that I felt like his relationships were the most meaningful. Even, mm-hmm. even though Zach's the main character, like even his relationship with Sephiroth, I felt like was more tender than like Zach and really anyone else uh, mm-hmm. aside from Angel. So it almost feels like, as if Angeal was the main character because of his how his relationships were, were fleshed yeah. out in this game. I do want to call out probably the what I would say probably the best cutscene of the game is that that flashback scene you get from Sephiroth of them fighting in the training room. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really really cool scene, really impressive that they rendered and had that on the PSP by the way. Um, <laughs> but like it, it's it's a badass scene and. Yeah, and Angeal, uh, as Genesis and Sephiroth, or Genesis, really starts to take it a little too far. Angeal's the one that breaks them up. Right. Um, yeah. Like, he, he kind of is, he's the role model for Zack, and he's, like, trying to be the role model just, like, for this for this game story, for this, uh, for, for everyone in this world. Um, and, like, there, there's even, there's, uh, I think his fan club kind of mentions this, or somewhere, it's mentioned somewhere in the game that he's kind of, like, he is kind of like the de facto like poster child for soldier. He is the ideal soldier. Whereas Sephiroth is kind of like the hero that everyone loves and admires. Like Angeal, uh, in a time before the end of Wu- the Wu Tai War, before he defects, like he was kind of the one that was looked up to, both in and out of soldier. Yeah. And and you know I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, but when you have your, I won't say final duel, but your actual fight where you quote unquote kill him as Zach. That's really like 
what effectuates his character change from, you know, for most of the game before that, he's just oh, yeah. kind of an annoying, like, you know, Luke Skywalker, or New Hope, like kind of annoying where you still like him, but like he's just doing squats all the time and it's weird. Um, and then you have what I think is, a, if I have to be honest, like kind of rushed, a weird montage of Zach just crying. And then you do get a cool scene, which I do kind of like, which is Zach now first class giving the speech to all the Shinra soldiers. Yeah. I just wish it had been a, less of a hard turn in that character shift and more gradual. Yeah. But you're right. That is like a major, they, they do try to, they, they try to present it as a major turning point for his character. I do yeah. find it kind of weird that there's two ways that they try to show that uh, both in him now being the possessor of the buster sword which we'll talk about in a moment but also he just kind of swoops this side of his hair back yes yes and i didn't even i didn't even notice it and like they like i think Aerith brings it up to him and i'm like wait what what what's different <laughs> and I, right. I eventually like saw a, a, a picture of him with like his bangs and i'm like oh okay <laughs> who cares um but yeah let's, let's talk a little bit about the buster sword um which i think i i don't believe any scenes had it in, in in reunion but this was another controversial thing with the original psp version they changed the design of the buster sword a little bit to have like a some like gold plating inlay uh at at the at the hilt guard uh they they've since walked that back on on this on reunion i believe uh, I, I, at least I didn't notice it in any scenes. I don't think any slipped by where they didn't change it. Um, yeah. But yeah, they they they, they the, the the Buster Sword. Um, we get some backstory on uh, as to how that came to be. Whereas it was when he, I think it was when he joined Soldier. His dad his had father, it commissioned. Yeah. Yeah. He he went bankrupt getting it made from. Yeah. And was trying to pay it back for ages, and Angel doesn't use it he it brings wear tear and rust i kind of find it a little uh i find it a little i guess disingenuous of zach when he inherits it that he winds up it becomes his main weapon um i don't how do you guys feel about like the significance of the buster sword and, and so once it passes to zach that line you just brought up I really do. It's again, uh, like most of the best lines in this game are from Angeal. Mm -hmm. And that's a great line that really says a lot about his, the character, who he is as a person, his history and his philosophy. Like you do so much with so little. It's again, one of the few gems, the few golden nuggets in this game. Um, but uh, honestly, like I didn't need a background for the Buster Sword in the original game. You, you get rid of it pretty quickly. Um, well, uh, yes, it, but yes and no, not in cutscenes. I guess yes, but and 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 it's the only weapon. It's the only weapon in the game. Uh, I guess Barrett's Gatling gun you can't sell, but it's the only right. one of only two weapons of the game that you, that can't, you can't get. get yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. But uh, but my point is is that it's more just supposed to be a symbolic like passage, uh, or not pa right of passage. Um, changing of the guard like it passes from from angel to zach and then zach to cloud I, I didn't need an elaborate history of it 
I Although, mean, if if they if they had done more with Angel, if they'd done more with Zach, then maybe I could have like accepted it. Again, it's all it's all like you know, the, it's all premised on is the writing of the game good? Is the story good? And it's just not. I think. Um, it's not that it got an elaborate backstory, right? Like it was commissioned for Angel by his father, and that's basically it. And the, clearly, Angel has a sentimental approach toward it. He doesn't want to wear it out. He doesn't want it. He 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 doesn't want to ruin this this thing that his his dad nearly died for to, for him to have. Right. And it's supposed to be symbolic, representative of honor, of dreams, and whatnot. And like that's that's Angel's kind of whole shtick. You know, it's kind of like how many times they say um, uh, 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 the word truth and uh, or, or or trust. The, how many times they say the word trust in God of War Ragnarok? You know, how many times do they say the words dreams and honor in, in Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII? <laughs> it's a little too much, but yeah, like that. That's kind of his whole his whole thing. Um, and I think it's it, it is a little fucked up that Zach, once he inherits it, just immediately starts using it all the time. Three hundred side missions. Right. Well, that's that, yeah. That's that's my point. And that's Gio, my point, I'm really though. sad, but thanks, man. This is really going to help. Yeah, like th- that's my point, though. By giving it that backstory, which also that line that you mentioned, and I kind of spoke to the line that he doesn't use it because use brings rust, wear, and tear. Yeah. That he's not just talking about the sword; he's talking about a person's soul from fighting. Yeah, it's it's a philosophical comment. So, like the fact that when Zach inherits it, given now that we know its backstory and its value, mm-hmm. that Zach shows no regard for it, despite the fact we're supposed to assume that he has this relationship with Angel, and you would think he would inherit that revere for the sword. Like it, it's kind of jarring. Yeah, yeah. I Definitely. think it. I think it should have been. Um. He should have inherited it, always carried it on his back, but still used a standard soldier sword in combat. Right, like the, um, the Buster Sword would be a special ability almost, or something like that. Yeah, like he would only use it in cutscenes in like desperate situations, or yeah, yeah maybe make it a maybe make it a um a, a, a very specific limit break or something, something that limits its use to to stay true to what the what the story. It's kind yeah. of a, it's almost an example of ludo narrative dissonance. Yes. Um, a phrase that I know Jason loves so much. Um, but like it, it kind of is an example. And it's only made worse um with reunion because in, in Crisis Core, it's basically just a palette swap. The the uh, when you inherit the 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 Buster Sword in, in the PSV the PSP ber- version, Jesus. Um there's no there's no difference in anything. It's just it's just a model change. Whereas and here it's here, like a new gameplay mechanic. They added a whole new thing that to make to uh, besides like all the UI enhancements to make this game be presented very similarly to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, they made the Buster Sword kind of have a function slash feature like how it is in in Remake, where you go into a, a specific stance and you take less damage. It's almost like blocking and you could do strong attacks while in that stance. It's not as fleshed out as it was in Remake. Um it's also significantly more frustrating to use than (laughs) how many times did you dodge when you tried to activate it oh so many times so many times uh what i I, bringing this back to another like cool meta contextual um thing that's in the gameplay though uh there's that whole proficiency 
uh, meter that like slowly goes up as you as you're progressing through the game uh, and using the and using the uh, the Buster Sword stance. Um, that caps out at ninety five percent, which I think is kind of a neat little way of saying maybe Zach's not the true master of the Buster Sword. Ah, did you actually max it out? No, there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> how, how long? Yeah, it took me forever to get to like two percent. Like that's where I was when by I... the end of the game, and I used it like repeatedly. That was one of my key strategies. Just fuck. So I, I was doing it all the time. Like, I think I end. I end when when I, by the time I got the plat, I believe I had it somewhere in the high eighties. Oh wow! So I didn't max it, but I got. I, I if I if I played for a few more hours, I could probably max it. But like I said, I there's no benefit to it. Um, I think f- around forty something percent is where you get the last upgrade. Yet you, you can the last permanent upgrade that you can for increasing its proficiency. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to bring up the, the 95% cap because I think that's a really clever thing. I just saw that online. I didn't, uh, like I said, I, I didn't max it out, but I think that's a really uh, clever thing for them to do. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about with the Buster Sword and Angeal? I just, like, it, it was just more meaningful when he passed it to Cloud, but then it, it makes things a little, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, a little more muddled for what Remake is doing. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um yeah, and I, I do want to say like on on the topic of Zack, like if if Zack hadn't used the Buster Sword keeping in line with with Angeal's approach to having it, it would make sense for Cloud to use it because his he he had no idea. He kind of inherited it when he was coming out of a comatose state. Zack dies, he's freaking out and like he has he doesn't know the, the, yeah. the significant the the significance of the weapon that he's handed he yeah it makes it still makes sense that cloud uses it it's really right. just zach because zach has that relationship yeah right um but yeah i, I it, it's it's kind of used as a symbol but it's not really a consistent one and i guess that's kind of the issue i take there mm-hmm. uh let's uh, finishing off the three we talked about genesis we talked about angel let's talk about sephiroth how and how he's kind of uh presented in this game do you feel he's kind of humanized he has like a few lines of empathy uh especially yeah. when it's between him genesis and angel yeah like he early on in the game you're 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 as or zach is tasked with sung to go to benora and capture and bring back angie or uh or angie uh, potentially but mostly genesis mm-hmm. um benora being their hometown and sephiroth was originally going to go but he refused and like sung even brings I, th- I believe it's sung that brings it up like i understand now they're his friends he doesn't want to fight them yeah and like the next mission you go with sephiroth and he's still hesitant any any moment prior to the nibelheim incident i feel does humanize him pretty pretty significantly and i i think that's interesting because we don't get a lot of time in the original game seeing sephiroth not being the sephiroth we know the like hell bent on 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 taking revenge and and destroying the planet I guess yeah. I guess I guess if there's one bone I can throw into them for including the whole Genesis Angeal Sephiroth triangle, it's that it does humanize him. Even if his behavior, and maybe it's just because the dialogue's so bad, but he does come off as significantly more alien than the other characters in in his mannerisms and speech. 
which I think is fitting given, you know, what Sephiroth is. Yeah. Um, Hey, we do get a we do get him laughing. Uh, I was they, I was just gonna. Yes. say. <laughs> they they stayed loyal to that. Go, going to Nibelheim and he's like talking about his parents. He's like my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was kind of surprised to see that. Yeah. Uh, from being honest, um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think they took a pretty good approach with it. Like they didn't try to do anything out of the ordinary with Sephiroth in this game. And I appreciate that. You know, they, yeah. they, they gave him a relationship with the new characters that they presented. Obviously I feel like it would be stronger if Genesis was completely out of the picture, but they, we, we got what we got. It was uh, a, it was a gentle humanization and like they made him empathetic, but not in like a way that overdid it. That made him not feel like Sephiroth. Like there was still this like mysteriousness and silence about him that yeah. carries through to when he is in uh, seven. And um, I appreciated that. Cause if I would have seen him been like two TLC, tender loving care, I would have been like, wait a minute, hold on. I get it. <laughs> like you're trying to humanize him, but it's a little too much and doesn't feel like, like Sephiroth at all. Yeah. And it, it yeah. And it wouldn't be consistent, you know, with, the theme running throughout all of the final fantasy seven worlds, like the idealization of people, yeah. you know, these dreams <laughs> that, that we aspire to. And we really need to need to embrace ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about Aerith. Did you guys She's fucking, <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, uh... I really liked the new voice actress, so that's why I kept it in English. Um, but uh, Aerith, like, she kind of, I don't want to say abusive, but, like, Zack does all this shit for her. And he goes through so much. And yet, like, she's still kind of a dick to him. Not not like a dick, but, like, she still wants him to do more. She's like, oh, you just did, like, 50 things for me? Like, do something else. And it I... just comes across as a little bit, like too needy for me okay and i love her in seven remake like yeah so much so it's not like i don't like her character i just don't like her character as much in crisis core okay i think it's a very it's a very playground relationship that they have which like i he he's kind of zach's like he's a very outgoing soldier he's a very outgoing warrior so it's maybe maybe it's like a good um you know, pr- presentation of innocence almost. Aerith a- kind of pulls him into a world that he's not—he's not really familiar with. And like they, they kind of hint and jab at Zach being kind of a ladies' man earlier in the game, but like right. never some, never a situation where he's like absolutely smitten with someone. And like I think they do kind of present again. Like it would be much stronger if some of the interactions we see between them weren't locked behind the DMW. Um, but like it's an, it's interesting to see when they are together when they are kind of presenting the fact that they have a relationship together and are are maybe building towards something um yeah it's 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 an interesting thing where like their relationship almost seems like dumb young love that isn't really love like she's a young girl that has an idealized version of him he's a soldier not familiar with this world that just sees her as this idealized pretty, you know, girl in a church with flowers, which to be fair is, is in many ways what cloud, obviously they had time to flesh out that relationship, but in the original game, Aerith was to cloud 
the idealized girl a foil to Tifa's the girl next door archetype, like um, amongst many other things, obviously. But I think I think even though like their relationship is kind of awkward and like you spend an entire chapter building a fucking cart for flowers that doesn't even really you can, get you can build three carts too <laughs> yeah um aside from the fact i wanted to shoot myself in the head during that chapter um i i actually kind of like the fact that the relationship even if it wasn't meant to felt awkward and not they didn't see each other much it didn't feel like a real relationship it felt well, like two kids kind of believing they were in a relationship, which I think matches the original story, even if it wasn't intended to. I mean, like, she, he, Zach is presented in, in the original by Aerith as her first her first boyfriend, her right. first love, and they're obviously young. So, yeah, it, it is very much young love, right? Which, uh, how genuine is that? Is that is that typically in people their age, you know? It, it, it's they're working with what they've got. Zach also has a very demanding job that pulls him away a lot. We see that that's kind of what prevents a lot of uh, the direct relationship growth that we, from what we can see of them, obviously again, there's stuff you can see randomly from the DMW uh, that helps with that perception of their relationship. But I guess that's my problem. Like, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm salty because like you spend this whole chapter and plus side missions doing all this stuff to win her love, quote unquote. Um, With Bruno, who steals your wallet. Yeah. (laughs) Amongst like all these like potions have the perfect perfume, whatever, all this crap you do for her. And her DMW wound up being the lowest from everyone for the longest time. And I had to do so much like uh like keeping my controller on while in the middle of a fight just to get yeah. her dmw up and then i missed out on the scenes because it was random so yeah. and to be fair like that that is much less like the game trying to tell you she's not important to him and much more the dmw is just randomized crap <laughs> like yeah it's just a slot machine right um but yeah i i i enjoyed the i i enjoyed the presentation of their relationship here and i it makes it so much more tragic when at close to the end of the game the letters the letters Mm -hmm. and you realize like she wrote what was it 89 letters to him yeah the the final one was in um was in uh who's who's possession oh i the the angel wasn't a song i know it was the it was the angel um the angel monster, the last one that that was watching over her in the church, that came to protect. Oh um, no, I'm sorry, I confused it. Song is like trying to get something to him at the end. Well, Song has like yes. the other 88 letters. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he was given a letter to to, to give to Zach, but they didn't know where Zach was because he's locked away in the Shinra ma- uh, mansion in, in Nibelheim for four years. Well, and that's... when he when he finds out he's been gone for four years, right? He flips the fuck out, and it's. It's weird because it's I, I could see somebody very easily missing that because he just reads like four years from the letter and like I mean he kind of shouts that he, it's he been does four sh- years he does shout it but I could see somebody not intimately familiar with everything like yeah. not picking up on that yeah yeah 
I think it was really cool when they showed her at the end and she looked like significantly older, like you can tell and and like she had like her iconic outfit on. Yeah. That's when that's when it really hit me. I was like, damn, like she's grown now and she's been like having all this time not knowing what was going on with Zach. And then like it's raining and it was just and you see the flowers and it was just really impactful. And mm-hmm. it adds a lot of meaning this game to the flower scene in the beginning um and throughout um Final Fantasy VII. I mean, yeah, it, it really it really helps to it really helps to flesh out just why Aerith was so kind of taken aback by I mean, like how how coincidental that two two guys in soldier with the big ass buster sword mm-hmm. fall through her, her church roof onto her flower bed in the span of what five years. Like it's uh, what are the odds? But it yeah. it, it she she does. I, I, if I recall correctly, she does kind of. I mean, like the whole the whole reason there's a bit, such a big debate about the love triangle between Cloud, Aerith, and Tifa is like people try to ship Aerith and Cloud. It's like, well, no, she's she doesn't she's not she's not in love with Cloud. She's in love with Zach, who a lot of his personality traits, a lot of him is, is she sees in Cloud. She's reminded of him, and this game really kind of proves that, shows that, because of how similar their circumstances are. Well, Seven Seven does that, too. At least Seven Remake, from what I remember, does that, too, where she's like, you know, you remind me of somebody. No, that, never... that, well, yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, like, there, there, it's it's been such a long-running debate on 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 the shipping of, of characters with this game, and it's never made sense to me because it's pretty clear-cut what the game yeah. is trying to tell it, us. She is, she is the idealized girl archetype, and the reality is, is that Cloud doesn't love her either. He loves to, it's the girl next door versus the idealized, and it's not necessarily need to be a girl. Like, have you ever seen the movie while you were sleeping? Sandra Bullock has this idealized man and ends up falling in love with, you know, her brother or his brother. I'm sorry. Her brother, Jesus Christ. Those, like, those would be two yeah, very yeah. different movies. <laughs> but his brother, who is like less successful and more down to earth guy, it, it's, Girl yeah. slash guy next door versus the idealized love interest. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to get into debates about like Final Fantasy VII character shipping. I don't know that I'd want to come but out. But it's right not even shipping. Say... That's just the story. It's... No, I know, I know. Yeah. I I don't want to come out outright and just say that. I I don't want to outright say that Cloud never had feelings for Aerith of any certain of of of, of any sort. Oh, like, of course, yeah. Like you could, you do. Anyone could make an argument that he definitely did, but that wasn't she's not his main love right right exactly and that that like tifa's presented in the way she is because that's their relationship there's so much that cloud wouldn't do so many of the things he's done in his life if it weren't for tifa but tifa actually understands cloud and she actually like knows what's going on with him before even the audience does yeah and hey you know like i i didn't even put tifa here in the notes but she's in this game and she's visibly disappointed she she you get emails from her asking hey is there a blonde guy in soldier by any chance yeah (laughs) like she's she's waiting for cloud to come back she wants to see him and he's there and she just doesn't know it Right. She's like, like, don't tell him that I asked, by the way. She sends another email yeah. like, wait, 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 please don't tell him. <laughs> Forget I asked. Don't, don't, yeah. don't say anything to him. Um, and well, I even thought about it. I was like, well, wait a second. Like, I mean, I know, obviously, she's talking about Cloud. Everyone knows that. But, like, Lazard's blonde. <laughs> 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 of, uh, of Soldier. She well, is he by the end of the game? Yeah, well, maybe not so much, but... Um, 
All right, let's let. Uh, one, is there anything thing, else we wanted to talk about with it? Oh, go ahead. Just just one quick note about Tifa. They try to kind of give like a lead into her, you know, eventually joining Avalanche with the whole. They they give her dialogue like, "Why are you so mean to Shinra?" And like, I thought that could have been done way better. Like, honestly, when she, that I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but like, it instantly reminded me of the nineteen nineties, uh, it movie. Where the, oh, the one the, character the goes, Curry one. why is it so mean? Why does it hate? Like, that's, that's <laughs> kind of how Tifa came off. And I was like, oh. <laughs> All right, let's, um, uh, are, are we, anything else with Aerith? I want to speed yeah. through some of the other characters yeah. uh, to, to, to make some quick notes about them. I, I feel like there's not much to say about Song. Um, uh, I just have one, one thing to say. It was, I found it hilarious how, like, the Turks are supposed to be this super elite group and Zach and Aerith are hanging out in the park and Song Song's just like hiding behind some like like Yeah, and like, and yeah. It's like he's supposed to be like the super elite head of the Turks and he's spying quote unquote on Aerith well, by just also, standing ten feet away. <laughs> it also is funny how like like Zach confronts him about that and like they kind of talk uh, a little bit about the fact like who Aerith is and why he's kinda uh keeping an eye on her. Right. But like in seven, he's much more aggressive about about trying to take her in. In this game, he's not really aggressive about it, and kind of like almost supports Zach having a relationship with her, or at least he just kind of like lets it happen. At the end, like Sung and and Cisne are actively trying to get Zach back, get him the letters, and and have him them reunite. Like it, it weirdly human humanizes sung and it's kind of a weird humanization because it, it it's completely undone in seven yeah i mean it's... like not not undone in this just because seven came before crisis core did but like it, it just doesn't it doesn't stay consistent by the time you get to the original game and who he is in that yeah game. to be fair the turks in general come off in the original game they were a menacing arm of shinra and then in this game, they're at times kind of like just schlubby, like another guy. And to be fair, a lot of that has to do with the fact that for most of the game, you are working for Shinra. Yeah. Unlike the original. So, of course, you're going to have relationships with these people. It just kind of like there was that veneer of they were imposing, they were elite, they were menacing in the original. Well, the original does show at times does show them as having, you know, some form of morals. Sure, um, sure, sure like close to the end of the uh, of seven like you can engage in a fight with reno rude and elena or you could just tell them no nah, i don't want to fight you right and you don't have to fight them um they're they're, they're kind of presented as they they have they're they're the 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 employees that have the dirtiest jobs and they're just doing them because mm-hmm. they have to it's it's what they're told um, but they like they are at times presented as having some sort of morals. But Sung especially was kind of always presented as ruthless. Yes. Um, and even in even in remake when he when he goes to collect Aerith from the slums, um, it, he he's he's not like, um, kind about it. You know, he 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 forces her to go with him. Right. Um. So yeah, it's a little. I feel like his character in this game, it's not the same song that we see, and I don't know if they're trying to play like Zach's death had some sort of significant impact on him, made him become more ruthless. Like maybe you could play that card, but um, I, he he was also totally okay with bombing a village. So, 
and 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 even Zach kind of questioned that. Also, I love that his limit break is once again just bombing the enemies. Right, <laughs> just right. calls in an airstrike. Um, let's talk about Cisne. I think Cisne had a lot of potential. Again, there's some scene, there's some great scenes that are shown in the DMW that you don't explicitly get to see. Um, very heavily implied to have a crush on Zach. I think. Oh yeah, yes, for sure. For sure. Um, I, I which makes it a shame because she could have, if you really wanted to set the parallels between Cloud and Zach, like it, Tifa stand in right there. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's also she, she's like an interesting foil to to Aerith in that, um, how Zach is constantly walking away from from his time with Aerith due to his job. Cisne has a pretty similar conflict of responsibility. Right. And when she confronts Zach when he's on when he's on the run, like she lets her emotions kind of get in the way of her doing her job and kind of tries to help him. And obviously, by the end, her and Sung try to save him and, and they obviously fail. Um, so, yeah, I, I think she was a great character with a lot of promise. I'm Out of all the characters that are she wasn't completely introduced in this game she was a character and before crisis but she was made she was fleshed out much more in this game and actually kind of made more into a character in this game uh of all the characters from this game um that could potentially be coming back and further remake projects like she's probably the one i'm most interested to see them reintroduce and kind of do something with oh yeah Um, for sure it's kind of left vague like what she does after this game because obviously she isn't in the original Final Fantasy 7. Yeah. Um she maybe she's just a she's another Turk that just isn't involved with your party's goings on or maybe she quits being a Turk after what happens to Zack, you know, yeah. who's to say. Um, uh, it I, I i want her to quit but at the same time like she said she was like born into this job mm-hmm. you know so it, yeah. it, to break away from that would be like breaking away from her only family probably yeah and she has lots of regret surrounding zach she she I, she uh, like i said she obviously had a, a big crush on him she cisne is not her real name and her real name isn't I it, she, they were always referred to by like whatever their main weapon was in before crisis um Cisne was like a moniker given to her here and then they decided oh that's not actually her real name mm-hmm. so it's like she has a lot of regret for never telling Zach her real name never getting that chance um and I I I I think she was a she was probably one of the most compelling characters and it's but it never quite reached the highs that it could have the potential that it could have in in this game just due yeah. to how the game is structured right uh, I feel like we touched on everything we kind of need to touch on with Hollander and Lazard. They they both... Oh, there is one thing, interesting thing I want to bring up about Lazard that I think was in an email. Um, and that's that he's kind of a bastard child of the of uh, President Shinra. Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought was a really interesting bit of backstory. It's part... I guess it l- lends to his reason for wanting revenge against the company. Um, he was just you know kind of because it's it's kind of just mentioned in the aftermath the explanation oh yeah lazard was funding them by the way yeah and he just like (laughs) disappears from the game for a while yeah Yeah, which again is it kind of lends more to why the the story is a little messy like you just get these big reveals that are just like they're like supposed to be big and have like some sort of meaning behind like the implications of everything but it's just kind of like oh all, all right whatever (laughs) 
but yeah, Lazard and Hollander wanted wanted revenge on Shinra. I just wanted to bring up the 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 uh, the love child of President Shinra tidbit about Lazard. I thought that was interesting. Um, Yuffie's in this game. She's basically got no importance. She's yeah, just I mean, an annoying child. Shinara main, runs. Yeah, in the main story, she shows up what once, and then you can play. I played one of the side quests, the treasure hunt one. Yeah, where you know you find the treasure, and then she's like, "Oh, from glory for Wu." She says, "I don't remember something about glory for Wu Tai." And, and those are all yeah. those are all basically the same too. Is like she, there, there's because there's a couple um, material hunter mission strings where she shows up, and they're all basically like. She tries to trick you into getting to this chest and then take the treasure from you and fails. To be fair, there's not much they really can do because Yuffie was an optional character in the original game. And yeah, she, but did have a lot, she did have a lot of like side content that was expanded the lore with Wu-Tai and whatnot. Yeah, but, um... I, well, let's also consider Vincent was a, was a, an optional character in the original and he got an entire spinoff game just to True. So and, and I guess Yuffie did with, with kind of with that DLC, yeah. Right. So like those those characters are ostensibly like they're very much important to the canon, even if you can technically skip them in the original game. Yeah, because in the original game you have to like go to a specific area in the world map early on and run around until you randomly any, encounter her. Any any forest on the first continent. Yeah. Until you run into her. Yeah, there's like a twenty percent chance of of her attacking you or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, 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 they are ostensibly important to the canon. It's just, yeah, it was a decision to make them optional in the original. And I'm sure that's a decision that if, if Kitase and whomever else could take it back, they probably would at this rate. Yeah. That's not really something, that's something they stopped doing. Like, cause in the Super Nintendo days, like half the party was optional. Whereas yeah. like, you know, it, that yeah, like Final way... Fantasy six, I think had three optional characters or something. Yeah. Similar. There's a lot of party members in that game and there's yeah. a bunch of optional ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last person I want to bring up is, uh, I, I don't even remember the other person who randomly starts emailing you, but console, I really thought that like, I don't know if this game, who is if... he? Like I never understood. He was really the who one was. soldier. He was the one soldier pal that like that like kind of. He was kind of treated as like your tutorial agent at the beginning oh, of the game. Okay, but he's yeah. also like kind of presented as like a buddy of Cloud or uh, of Zach's, and he's constantly emailing him and talk and like talking to him. And he's kind of he's kind of like a lore dropper. Like he's constantly giving yeah. you like like lore tidbits and whatnot via email. I, I know who I know who it is you're talking about now, and. Throughout the game, I actually thought that like Kunso was going to end up being some like <clears throat> some like pet nickname for Cloud. Like it would be revealed that uh, Kunso was Cloud, which actually no. kind of I don't know if that would have been. I don't know if that really would work because the personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. But like you know, you you know what I mean. Like the well, right away the fact that there. the fact that he's are that he's in Soldier at the beginning of the game kind of negates that though, because yeah. Cloud isn't in Soldier. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, I mean, I, frankly, I, I would have liked him to be more of a character. But they don't even give him anything more than a generic soldier model. Um, considering he's a named character that is close, clearly, obviously close to Zach. <coughs> it kind of, it kind of bugs me that they, they didn't really do much with him in the end. Uh, but he did get name dropped in remake. I don't um, remember that. It's toward the end when you're in, when you're in the Shinra building. Um, like you run into, you run uh, some 
Shinra employees oh, or soldiers oh, recognize Cloud, and they're like, "Hold on, I'll go get Consul." Yes, like, I, I remember you, you mentioned this. I think in our discussion of the game, yeah. yes. And I kind of do wonder. Uh, sorry, I guess that's a minor spoiler for remake, but I'm not bleeping that one. It's so minor. <laughs> like you'll get over it if you haven't played that game. It's um, a tutorial character. Yeah, don't worry yeah, about it. Like it's it's such a minor cameo slash reference and mention. It's it it it's 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 one of those things where like if you have no idea what he's talking about, then it doesn't matter anyway. And if you do, it's just kind of like oh um oh okay. Because it's like the only time these mentioned, but yeah, I, I kind of wish they would have done more. So, is there anything else uh, story related or character related you guys want to talk about before we move on to gameplay? Nope. And if anything else comes up, you know, we'll probably just bring it up because that's how that's how we roll and reap the spoils. <laughs> um, we already talked a little bit about combat. Um, and and some of the changes. Obviously, we talked about the Buster Sword stance. That's totally new to Reunion. Um, I guess let's talk about we'll talk about progression and that'll kind of inform a little bit more about combat but like how did you guys like the materia system and materia fusion in this game it's overwhelming it's like well you can get a materia and then as soon as you get that materia you level it up then you get a better materia like a plus version of whatever the materia is and then you level that up and then you get a plus plus and it's like it almost feels like all the work you put into leveling up the materia is for nothing because you could either just fuse it to make it stronger eventually or you'll get a stronger one. Yeah, At I, least if you were going for 100% like I was. I, I basically got Kuraga, Thun, I think Thundara or Thundaga, a fire sword attack, a blizzard sword attack. And that was like by halfway through the game. And by that point, I didn't mess with materia at all the rest of the game. I, the problem with Materia Fusion is unless you have a chart or you look up how it all works online, like it, it the the game just doesn't really make much of an effort to explain the system to you. That's that's the problem with a lot of these mechanics is that you have to really read all of these. There's so many goddamn tutorial emails, yeah, and not, those... and a lot of them don't even fully explain the mechanics. Right, and it's because like there's actually like a whole hidden ranking system behind all the materia, right? There's like there's like yeah. I think rank one through eight, and they all have different like there's all sorts of different types, and mixing certain types with other certain types will get you a very specific type, and the ranking system, how that kind of goes into it will get you a certain rank. And then there's the, 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 the stats that are attached to them and min maxing to get a materia, a, a materia of like good worth, like a high ranking materia that has like maxed stats attached to it is such a nightmare. Uh, especially when you're in the end, if you make a mistake, I had like several materia, that had like near maxed out stats and stuff. Like I think I had a costly punch that was at HP plus like eight hundred and seventy percent or something. And I wonder goes that, that high. Yeah, you can get HP <laughs> up to nine hundred ninety nine percent. Well, I guess I guess a lot of this like min maxing only really applies to the if you do the side quest, which like I said, right. yeah. I did two, and then I was like, I'm not doing this because you can even the hardest bosses in the main game you can beat under leveled. Yeah, um, but. And and I will say combat com just to double back a little bit to just general combat combat in reunion is so much more fluid and intuitive than it was on the PSP version. And I know I I know fresh uh, with a fresh mind because 
I'm I'm replaying the PSP version right now. Oh, man. I wanted to replay it before or, or play a little bit of it at least before we recorded this to get to so I could remind myself how it was then and how it is now. And man, guys, if you think this game plays bad, go play the PSP version. You'll think this game is a or reunion is amazing. Man, I had a, <laughs> I had a PSP. I remember those days. It's 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 a little it's it's like not unintuitive. It's just instead of on this version in reunion right most of the time when we're talking about this game we're talking about reunion because that's a version all three of us have played that's a version a lot of people are going to be playing um all the materia are mapped basically to to shortcuts you press you press the materia button and then you press the, the button linked to that specific materia to use it in the original you are on attack and you have to use the bumpers to move to your other materia on oh, your like that. little menu so basically and, what items are in this game yeah kind of yeah yes yes there's no dedicated attack button in the psp version it oh god is that would have been what, infu- that would have been even more infuriating than what it yeah. is yeah because like if you have to cure you have to tap over to your cure and use that and then tap back to attack so you can start attacking again oh hell no it's like it's it, like kingdom hearts has always been more intuitive than this um it, 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 I mean, it, it's kind of what they needed to do on the PSP, I guess, until Birth by Sleep came out and they managed to do the Kingdom Hearts formula on PSP. But uh, in a lot of ways, this game feels like a predecessor to Birth by Sleep, which I found really interesting as someone that also is a big Kingdom Hearts fan alongside being a Final Fantasy fan. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like I had several materia that had... Yeah, going back to the materia fusion, I had several materia that had near maxed out stats, but they were they were like ultimate level material. They were the highest tier you could get. So I couldn't transfer those stats to any other materia right. to get, to get, to keep it on that materia rather. Like I had a costly punch that had 870. I couldn't get it maxed out on costly punch without getting rid of my costly punch. And then I wouldn't be able to get another unless I just like, I guess went through the whole process again, but I don't even think I could do that. Like, it just sucks. You have to really plan out your your min maxing ahead of time, and you're typically with min maxing you do, but it's really frustrating when you you almost get there and then you can't get all the way there, um, just because mm-hmm. this the system is just so confusing and and almost borderline nonsensical. And the mess up part about it is that for the end game content, meaning like the hard missions, like I would say like eight, nine, ten level, like yeah. the, the ten stars, and then Minerva, um. You have to have maxed out stats. Like it doesn't even like the materia matters, costly punch and whatever. But what matters more is the stats that you have attached to it. And yes. you don't get those stats just by getting the materia. You have to actually pour like chocobo feathers or whatever materials into it to max it out. And you have to still fuse it with another materia in order to add that stat to it so it's it's unnecessarily convoluted it's stupid to the point where the hardest boss in the game which is supposed to be minerva is just she's a joke because you're just there making sure you have the mid-max stats and then you're just punching the shit out of her and using karaga (laughs) and that's it yep and she's just a tank you know yep and that and i mean there's She's not the only like Final Fantasy super boss or even Square Enix game super boss that is there's only like one to two effective strategies against it. And it's usually a bullshit strategy. Like in Minerva's case, it's 
you either use costly punch like a hundred or so times doing nine nine ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine damage to her with each hit until she's until she's dead or you raise a fuck ton of gill and then use gill toss over and over again to deal <laughs> as much damage as you possibly can those are the only like truly effective strategies against her if you just like want to do it in as in in the least frustrating way um which i, I is kind of a problem in, in my opinion i i think that sucks i think that's a, just an unfun super boss um kingdom hearts birth by sleep is a similar problem but instead of two strategies there's basically one and it's even worse uh but we don't need to talk about kingdom hearts uh. um but yeah i i, I materia fusion could have been cool it could have been a neat idea if it wasn't just like so confusing and makes absolutely no effort to uh explain itself well or provide you with the resources in game to understand it uh, you really have to go out of your way to understand how it works and do research, and it's and I, this this isn't the game to be doing that with, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I feel like for a casual play, like it, I guess it's good that I kind of just played it more casually, so I have like an opposite end experience. It's mm-hmm. also super easy to exploit, where like you can get powerful material, like thunder, like basically by the last third of the game. All I was doing was spamming Thundaga and Kiraga. And because you can buy like the base items at any time, I mean, in addition, obviously, to limit breaks and finisher bonuses that refill, replenish your stats, yeah. you can just buy like infinite ethers yeah. and just keep refilling. You don't even have to engage in melee combat unless it's like a specific enemy that you know resists whatever spell you're using. Yeah. That was literally how I beat all of the last bosses. Yeah. Thun- Thundaga, Thundaga over and over again. Well, specifically with, when we'll talk about with the gameplay with the Sephiroth, the Sephiroth boss, because I didn't want to engage. Uh, oh yeah. Right. Physically because of the mechanic. Yeah. Right. Um, but all, even the final boss, cause the final boss, I was just doing like 6,000, 7,000 damage every time with Thundaga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause he's weak to all of the three primary elements. Uh, I will can... say though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say I, what I did like about the combat is um, when you would get like that infinite MP or AP cost, or um, and, and the way the limit system worked, where like you can limit multiple times pretty often as long as you're like doing enough attack or whatever, or you have the DMW up. I thought that was pretty fun and satisfying. Like, oh shit, my MP it just costs nothing. Let me just spam like Thundago or whatever. I actually like that mechanic a lot. Yeah, and that I was—I mean, I was just about to jump into the DMW. The whole reason the DMW was implemented um, was uh, Tabata wanted to have something that kept gameplay from getting repetitive. <laughs> I- ironic, I know, because of the <laughs> missions and stuff, but. He wanted something to, to to keep gameplay from getting repetitive. He wanted to keep uh, new things happening constantly through battle. So the DMW uh, came into existence where random things might happen. You might get Endure. You might get no MP cost. You might get a limit break. Um, replaying the PSP version, I kind of forgot about this. Uh, and we didn't have to deal with this playing Reunion. But it just kind of does its thing in the corner. Mm-hmm. And like it'll get a little bigger if you have the two people, if you have like Angeal and Angeal on the ends, like to signify like, hey, you might get a limit break or a or a DMW image or something, you know, something good might happen here. 
in the PSP version, it pauses the action and the DMD takes up the whole, the DMW takes up the whole screen and you wait to see oh if you God. get the thing that you need. And if you do great, if you don't, that just goes back to combat and it's, it, it, it stops everything. So you can look at it. And another nice thing, another nice uh, quality of life improvement that Reunion did was in the PSP version, if you got a limit break or a you summon, skip it. well, I, th- you, I think you can skip the summon animations. Yeah, you can't skip the limit breaks. And they also happen immediately. Right. So if you get um whatever Angeal or if you get Octo Slash or whatever whatever limit break or summon like they 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 happen whether you want them to or not or they happen wow. immediately versus here where they get banked and you can use them when if you want to when you want to. Yeah, because sometimes it was strategic to wait to use it when like somebody was about to cast Ultima or something like right. that, so that you could n- not die. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that was um yeah it was it was it's 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 nice having that comparison point of playing the PSP version and seeing oh you know what reunion did a lot of good for this game Thank made you. it a lot more bearable <laughs> um, someone someone said this was their favorite final fantasy game some like i don't know person in the video game industry i don't remember who but i was a, just like How? it's a weirdly it's like a more common sentiment than you'd think and I don't understand it either, because it's like, is this the only one you've played? Like, there's right. so many others that are better than this. And I, I, I did walk away from this game having a newfound appreciation for it. And I think I, I, I on, that only happened because of the good things that Reunion brings to the table for it. The good yeah. quality of life improvements. The combat feels so much more intuitive, fluid, and fun than it did on the PSP version. Um, but like yeah i this this game is far from perfect and it's only barely decent or on the on the scale on the good side of the scale for me um but anyway uh, i want to continue complaining about the dmw system um just because like the whole the whole random nature of it just makes it so troublesome the fact that leveling up is somewhat randomized and tied to this is what i really have a problem with like there is a hidden experience of uh uh, factor there like you are accumulating experience points it's just they're hidden from you and when the game finally decides to let you level up is when the dmw will be like okay fine level up right yeah and i don't i never liked that it's it's part of why i quit playing crisis core in my youth like around when it came out uh, because I was under leveled and I couldn't do anything about it, I just yeah. had to. I had to let the the whims of the game decide. Hey, yeah, we'll 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 throw you a level up, and I I, I think that's such a crappy system, yeah, for for progression. Um, materia growth, like you could go so long without any of your materia leveling up, and you can't do anything about it. Yep, it's just all randomized. Yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of confused. Because I was using materia over and over again and it wouldn't level up. Then I would kill an enemy with another materia and the materia I was using most of the time finally leveled. I'm like, I don't get what's going on here because it says the more you use it, but like, 
yeah, yeah. and it's know. it's all it's all just tied to the dmw gracing you with doubles of like specific numbers and those numbers correspond to the materia slot and if right. you get two ones when you have when you have two uh face images all right whatever material you have in the first slot that's gonna level up it's oh, yeah. just like it's so I, silly. I wasn't i wasn't even paying attention to the you know the, the slots in the corner as i was yeah. playing most of the combat in this game if something good popped up then cool yeah that was pretty much how i approached it like definitely credit to tabata he definitely had a good idea in mind for mixing things up a little bit i think he, they went a little too far with the random chance right um definitely a li- little too many dice rolls random right. nothing in any game please <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're we're talk we are talking about a series that's well known for random encounters, so yeah. I, <laughs> I don't oh, know God. if we can escape it that well. <laughs> Another thing, like the combat encounters, I would say I I it's I wish that I knew going into it that hugging the ledges yeah. would actually like. See, I, I knew that going in. Yeah, because I, 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 I used to do that when I played it. When I would I would go into a mission and I knew the mission was like pretty well above like my my uh my level point. So I'd go into it and I would hug the walls and the ledges and stuff to, to make sure I didn't get random encounter or not. Ra- they're not even random encounters. It's like if you're walking into if you're in like the the internal building like thing, like, you know, if you're going to walk into a big square room, there's going to be an encounter there. Because right. There's enough space for you to fight things in that in that room. So. But well, yeah, if you walk oh, like sorry. in the middle. No, I was just going to say if you walk like in the middle, you'll always you'll every two yeah. steps, you will have a fight. Literally, yeah. you gotta fight one step, you're in another one. It was really annoying. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jake. No, even it, it's interesting because the random nature of encounters. I was actually reading somebody posted on somebody actually went through the original and compared it. It was not just the Crisis Core; it was also like remake and stuff. Yeah. Comparing how long it takes to complete one of these, you know, more action or fully action oriented. Um, you know, combat battles versus the original. The average turn-based battle in the original was only like I think they said it was four or five turns. They were not very long, and in many cases, those battles resolved much quicker than the actual full, you know, fully controlled combat scenarios in these games. I find that very interesting. Well, there, there, it's it's a different style of combat. It's also balanced yeah. differently. Exactly, and, it's the number, the way they, yeah. Plus, like, let's also consider in, in in the original game, like they would be there would be a loading sequence that would bring you into the fight mm-hmm. before, and depending on certain statistics and certain status effects, like your ATB bars might start at different positions. Yeah. Um. There, there's there's several factors at play comparing turn based to action to action based combat. Um. But anyway, yeah. I. I I uh just talk, circling back and tying up the DMW system is like, yeah, I I do wish there was some stuff that wasn't so tied to the random chance and that's uh, yeah. you know that that that's kind of always been my biggest issue with this game and why I it's always baffled me why people say it's their favorite like it, there's so many systems that are actively I feel actively working against you. Yeah. And it's just they're not they're not fun or or that engaging to 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 use or work with. Um, 
why do you like this <laughs> you know yeah i mean the music's cool i guess in the combat. Uh, see i think i i honestly think the soundtrack is very weak and it's yeah. not, i'm not uh, saying the soundtrack i like just the combat music oh the so, combat music is good the combat yeah. the battle music is good aside from the reused um seven pieces i kind of wasn't digging this music yeah, yeah the sound the soundtrack for this game is i would say is fairly weak um it was composed by Takeharu Ishimoto, who... What else did he do? I'm just checking live. Uh, oh, he did work on Final Fantasy X soundtrack, which X has a really good soundtrack, and also uh, worked a little bit on... Oh, this is just as a synthesizer programmer. He's also done some work on Kingdom Hearts, and Kingdom Hearts typically has good music. But His, his I guess, his biggest claim to fame really is the... Um, is the, uh, the, the, the compilation titles. Uh, so yeah, th- th- there you go. That's why he was kind of tagged for for the soundtrack for this game. And I do, right. I do, like I said, I do feel it's a pretty, it, it's a comparatively weak soundtrack. It's got some good themes, um, and the battle music is pretty rocking. But yeah, yeah. Um, feel like we've oh the the I think the last major thing we got to talk about is the uh, the missions. And what I what I was telling you guys to try and just just to contextualize it a little a little bit is that this was at the end of the day or is at the end of the day a game that was designed for a portable system. Right. So all the 300 missions that are all kind of bite sized and could be completed in just like a few minutes. Like. The, 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 that's kind of why like it yeah, like I'm... it was intended to be played in burst it's it's the same logic behind why peace uh, metal gear solid peace walker is designed the way it is yeah it's supposed to be played on a train commute because to my knowledge that's how most people you know commute in japan yes, yes um but uh yeah I, that's why i don't criticize that's why i didn't bring up the awful level design that's like start stop start stop like i understand why it's like that you're supposed to be able to play in a few minute burst and then save even if it's in a story mission yeah and they just have like they have like giant uh, with the missions they have like these giant maps that they just kind of gate off certain pathways to give some semblance of level design um it's not unheard of other games have done it before but like it is just it's it's a lot of missions it's a lot of what feels like busy work yeah. Um, and, and Delilah, you and I did all 300, <laughs> which is ever, yeah. ever again, never. I mean, <laughs> at first it was refreshing to have the bite-sized stuff. I was like, oh, it's, I don't know. It feels kind of good to like, just complete a mission. It felt satisfying. But then after like, I don't know, like 30, I was like, all right, fuck this. And then I did all of them. And then it gets even more frustrating when all the high-level ones, again, boils down to the same strategy. Have materia with maxed-out stats, costly punch, just beat the shit out of things. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I knew that it would eventually get to that point where the side missions become like endgame, you need to min-max kind of content, which is why I didn't bother, because I didn't particularly enjoy the combat in this game to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, like, as soon as I did two missions and I really understood kind of what these were, 
and I, I that's why I asked you, is it story relevant? And you're like, mm, no. And this yeah. is one of the things that I will bring up about certain missions is that some some of them you only unlock if you engage with certain NPCs out in like Midgar, um, and in in the Shinra building and certain and certain other places. And those are some of the best because they're actually telling some semblance of a story. There's this whole subplot with uh, Wu Tai spies being present in Midgar, and they're mm-hmm. actually NPCs you can speak with earlier in the game, and they are acting really suspicious. So, like when this when this side quest comes up, and you you're tasked with finding these Midgar spy or, or these Wu Tai spies, like you already kind of have an idea of like where some of them might be, and each one that you capture and turn in unlocks a new mission. Um. Uh, a new mission for you to do because you're capturing these Wu-Tai spies and you're interrogating them for information and thus you unlock a mission to go and you know take out more Wu-Tai soldiers or whatever. Um, there's another one that's uh, uh, has like a really good subplot where it's a it's a uh, a soldier third class who doesn't feel like he's cut out and so he wants oh, yeah. he wants to shadow you while you do some of his missions and it. In the end, the guy that's like that was yelling at him at the beginning kind of uh, heavily implies that he was mentored by someone that told him to embrace his dreams and and protect his older honor. And Zach's like, hold on a second. I think I know who your mentor was. It's it's just like a cute little subplot, but that's only done like by doing some of these missions. Those are some of the best missions just because they're they're actively telling some sort of plot. Right. And then even he's in the Shinra briefing room doing squats endlessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's oh, just. God. I gotta get to a thousand squats. It's like, dude, we're on chapter six. <laughs> I'm surely you're done by now. <laughs> um, and there, there was another. Uh, there was another uh, subplot that was in one of the mission. One of the mission lines that was like somewhat interesting, but it's escaping my memory now. But like, my point is, like, th- those are some of the best that the that the game had to offer and i feel like there were uh, it would have been better if there were more of them or i wish there were more of them uh just because they were actually telling a story and there's like flavor text for each mission that you could read but like it's it's not really it's just like flavor text to get you on your way to do the thing and then get out and it's nothing really that important right so yeah 300 missions is daunting and exhausting and yeah i it's, it's not lot. even like I like the game enough to like justify doing it. it. It got to a point where at first I was like into it. Like I said, it was bite-sized and satisfying. Yeah. And then at that point I had done so many that I was like, can I really stop now? So mm-hmm. I see. I was going to say some cost fallacy. Yeah, I actually, exactly. I actually am kind of really surprised that you went through and, and got the plat for this Delilah. Cause I, yeah. I, I, I just talking to you guys, I knew how much you did not like this, this mission structure. Look, and dude, I don't blame yeah. you. My, my playtime totaled out at about 10 hours. And by the last half, like not even third half of it, I was just begging for the game to end. So I can only yeah. imagine you guys doing all of those missions. Yeah. yeah, it was rough. I I've never felt so happy finishing something before, and I never uninstalled something so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is there anything else you guys want to talk about the story of the gameplay before we get on to the final question? No. Uh, I guess I should just mention that um, the combat 
here. It's just it's it's another attempt, or it was one of the earlier attempts, I should say, to fuse kind of the command base with the action. Um, but I, maybe it just has to do with I'm used to more polished FromSoft games and you know dodging blocking well, mechanics, and here from- it's like. I'm not used to not having iframes. I'm not used to like enemies. There are character models here though, but like you can get, you can get hit by enemies, not their actual character models, but you'll still get hit by a physical attack. It's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff and it's unresponsive. It's just very wonky and it doesn't feel good to play. I don't, especially because the commands don't slow down the combat. Like, I hate to give it credit, but Final Fantasy VII <laughs> Remake, that was a smart decision, and it's not well, done okay. here. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because, I, uh, first of all, I don't think it's fair to compare this to a FromSoft game, because I don't think they're fundamentally uh, the same uh, type no, of action no, no. RPG. I, I'm, I'm not trying to compare, like, the combat okay. in itself. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm saying maybe it's because I'm used to more modern action games where you have more defined, um, you know, radius of attack for enemies, more defined, you have iframes, you have all this stuff is is very rigid you have, and you, yeah you, i i mean in my experience i i mean i felt i felt the iframes were plenty in this game i mean i don't think i don't think every game is necessarily going to treat iframes the same way and the way that they were treated in this game i don't think was a problem i also think this game had more of an emphasis on blocking than it did dodging and that might be just due to the the, the new added buster sword stance i know when playing the psp version i'm definitely dodging more than i'm blocking right there's also um, there's also just balancing issues. One hit K, a lot of one hit KOs that are just yeah. random. Well, that's you don't, a you whole... don't get you don't get a lot of time to respond. I'm trying to go really fast to come, no, um, but you don't get a lot of time to respond to enemy attacks. Like the text will pop up and you don't even. It's less than a second before the attack I, hits you. And I, yeah, and that that's a little that that is a little bit different and a little bit changed from the PSP version. I think the PSP version actually does that a little better. It gives you a little more time to breathe and and react appropriately. Uh, probably because it's it's a more primitive type of game and, and it's dealing with uh with a different type of hardware. Yeah. Long but, story yeah. short, if you're gonna have the command system, slow it down, slow the action down while you're putting well, in commands. Yeah, I, I guess I'm a little confused because I feel like you would have liked this combat better than remake because it's all shortcut based. You put you put a, a cure in your circle materia slot, and you press you hold down L or L one and press circle, and boom, you're cured. You don't really have to engage with many much more than two buttons. I, I guess I'm a little surprised that you don't like that more than uh, how I don't. I don't like either of them. I'm just well. I know you don't like either had, of them, but if I had to choose one, okay. Again, I don't like. It's not that I don't think that action games can have RPG elements. Obviously, I loved Elden Ring. Um, and, and other FromSoft games, it's just, I don't believe specifically the turn-based command system of the Final Fantasy games and other JRPGs doesn't mesh well with action combat. Man. And I hold firm to that. This, this Did makes you feel me... that same way I, about I think... Danger of Paradise? I felt like you liked that combat, and it was kind of like... Um, I honestly barely remember Stranger of Paradise, other than go, the guy swearing all the time. Go listen maybe, to our maybe. Stranger of Paradise episode. <laughs> I I honestly don't remember. I might I, I'll always bring it up every time we do one of these modern Final Fantasy games. Uh, it's one of the reasons I'm excited for the upcoming one is that it's designed by the Devil May Cry guy. Yeah. Del- I will Delilah's say, just... huh? 
No, you're just bringing up Stranger of Paradise because you wanted to bring a little bit of chaos. To this <laughs> yeah, ca- <laughs> chaos and swearing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was gonna say like just to Jason's point real quick. There are some enemies where it was like clear to dodge when to dodge and there were some enemies where it wasn't and yeah. sometimes it didn't function especially when i was fighting those damn giant creepy looking tomberries i was like i would need my tomberries to be small when they're big i freak the fuck out and like they were taking up the entire screen and every time i would go and dodge a kitchen knife they would still like catch me and sometimes they would have me stuck in between their bellies so there was like a level of jank to the combat but it depended on the enemies that you were fighting i think for audio listeners, I just I just tried to lift up and show that I am in fact wearing a Tonberry yes. shirt today. <laughs> um, I did I did that especially because I knew we were talking about Crisis Core. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's all fair, right? Like, I I definitely think the combat's improved from the PS ver- PSP version, but I also have that uh I have that historical uh experience right yeah definitely and 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 based on like using items in this game was a nightmare especially if you were like (laughs) trying to get to a potion didn't have any mp couldn't heal and you were trying to like rapidly r2 while running around dodging stuff yeah and i don't know i didn't i didn't think it was that bad but it's it's like trust me it's even worse on the psp version because you gotta you got you gotta that and that you got a key over to items and then you got a key to the item that you want all while doing everything you just mm, said nope. you're doing okay anything else before the final question jason you got anything you good no um do i do you want me to give the rating yet or do you have more questions no 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 no, no. we're gonna do the final question and then okay then final question it. okay okay all right this is where this is where i'm gonna give a telegraph warning we're about to do a, like some more major spoilers for final fantasy 7 remake so um if if you haven't listened or if you haven't played remake um i'm gonna edit in the the timestamp for you to come back into the episode uh, if you want to hear the rest of it. Otherwise, stop listening now. Okay, timestamp for you to go to is... 2 hours, 26 minutes, and 41 seconds. Okay, we can spo- We can effectively spoil... Uh, do, do some spoilers for remake. So, the final question that I have is... Uh, you guys got any wild theories about how Zach's going to play in going forward? I know Delilah hinted earlier about the buster sword and how yeah. there, there seemingly is a continuity where Zack survives. Right. So how's that going to work for cloud? Is he just going to be a wet noodle in that continuity? Like, how are they going to split that? What, what do you guys think they're going to do with Zack? I mean, at this point, the only thing I can think of that makes sense without them completely revamping the story is like an alternate timeline. Or yeah. some kind of trap time travel shit. Well, well I think so, that's wait, I think the you... alternate timeline is de- yeah. definitely what they're going for. But it's I'm a, wondering, it's a sequel. Remake is a sequel. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it's not meta a contextually, remake. Meta contextually, it is a it it is a, it is the first entry in what is kind of a meta sequel to Final Fantasy VII. I yes. I feel I, I feel like a lot of people. I mean, it's not like explicitly stated, but I think that's kind of the consensus right now. Yeah, I just, I just don't know how they're gonna pull it off. You know, are they? Are they? They're gonna. Are we gonna occasionally at certain points in the story do a parallel storyline with Zach? And what's he gonna be doing? So, and this is something that Jason, you might not know because you didn't play Intermission. 
uh, they actually added an additional cutscene to see a little more of Zach, and it was him going to the church, and he was like walk pacing outside, like trying to figure out what to say when he when he sees Aerith again, and he he bursts through the doors and he's like, "I'm back," and he finds she's not there. The flowers are starting to wilt, and it's kind of like a refuge, like a refugee camp for people that were affected by the plate fall, the sector, the sector, uh, sector six plate fall. Yeah. Or sector seven, sorry, sector seven. Yeah, I was, I was um, kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah, my, 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 that was my bad. Um, so that just lends more questions, like, where's Aerith at that time? And also, what are they just in general? What are they going to do with him? Yeah, I can't even theorize at this point because I feel like they're going to just do more with other characters and not just him. Yeah, because of the characters that came up in the Yuffie DLC, as well as the way they I feel like they're trying to tie the ending of Crisis Core to the remake. And I mean, I think... you can't forget about the amazing motorcycle man that was in all the Roche. advertising. <laughs> yeah, I don't even yeah. remember his name. Um, I think Weiss and Nero are less like, I think they're just trying to finally make good on some promises they made with Dirge of Cerberus and Crisis Core and try to like expand their roles in, in this universe rather than like do something totally wild and wacky with them that would like break continuity or something. I think that they're going to be part of like our main cast's plot and actually be incorporated because like Dirge of Cerberus establishes that there was this whole other unit of, of, of Shinra uh, people that like were just kept hidden and, and, and kind of contained because they're just that dangerous and we're going to be used in certain situations. Um, and that's where Weiss and Nero come in, and by extension Genesis. So, like, I, I don't, I don't know that that's going to be like part of Zach's alternate timeline kind of deal. I think that might be incorporated into the main one, but I, I just do wonder where they're going to go with this, this, this separate alternate thing where Zach lives. It's uh, yeah. And are they going to have like <laughs> two Buster Swords? Yeah, well, like that's the question, right? Like, in in assuming that this is an alternate reality, assuming this is an alternate dimension, which we've already established that the remake, um, the 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 this remake dimension is an alternate dimension because the whole all of remake story was predicated on, uh, them breaking the fate that they're destined to 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 uh, live out, and they break those chains and they're free to do what they want. Uh, and whether or not that's follow the story that they're destined to do or break um, forge their own path is up to them. But like that, 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 that's true of Zach and what can only, it to, can only make sense in an alternate dimension because if in the one that they're, the remake cast is in, if he's still alive, like cloud wouldn't have the buster sword. We all know the entire series, the entire remake series is going to end with cloud and Zach either together or in some weird like he-man i don't know is he-man the one that combines two people in the one i don't know zach and cloud will morph into that, one figure to fight sephiroth in the crater think, like I, I like numura's wet dream will come to life in the final battle uh, i'm I don't, sure you're uh you're thinking of captain planet there captain planet i don't know whichever one of them 
I don't know. You guys, you guys know my opinion on the remake. After the first one, don't I, know, I know, don't care. Well, I will play it for the podcast <laughs> at, at, at the cost of my sanity. But hey, you played this for the podcast at the cost of your sanity. I did. So. Yes, that's how um, much I love you guys. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> To be fair, this this episode wasn't only me. Delilah also said that she would be totally down to do an episode on Crisis Core. And I bet she's regretting that. <laughs> I, ref- I refuse to take full responsibility for well, this. See, that's the thing. I actually thought that this would actually change things a little bit. Like, yeah, at no. least have, like, an ending cutscene to, like, <laughs> well, I did in too. what direction they were going to, like, tie it all together. Because then I'm just like, well, then what was the point? Because well, it's the money no 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 no, 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 no. i don't i don't i don't want to go ahead and say that was i mean yeah obviously they're a business they have to make money of course that that was that's a big part of it but like uh, clearly from what we saw in remake clearly from the fact that zach is alive in in some alternate reality right like they kind of need to if they're gonna if he's gonna be a a big part of rebirth which it seems like he's gonna be a big part of rebirth they kind of have to explain to new fans and give, like I said, crisis core was on PSP jail. If there's any new fans coming into the, uh, coming into seven with remake, they have no way of playing crisis core and knowing Zach's backstory and and what his fate was supposed to be unless they get a PSP and that game. I totally get that. But then coming from the perspective of a lot of crisis core is understood through playing final fantasy Mm seven, the original. Yeah. Then it's like, if people play the remake and then went into this, I imagine that it's even more confusing. Oh, I agree. I agree. But to be fair, to understand remake, you have to have played the final fantasy seven original. Yeah. Delilah, I I completely agree with you. And that, that, that problem comes down to, uh, the, 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 the staff behind remake, uh, claiming that you don't need prior knowledge to enjoy remake which i guess you know yeah you can enjoy remake without knowing but that ending is going to be so fucking confusing right and you're just gonna not understand the significance of what's going on unless you've played the original but and but like i said like that's we know that but they're they they they're pushing for people to just play it because i mean yeah they want the sales but also like they they just want new fans to come in and enjoy it and not feel like they're being gatekept. And I, yeah. I get, there's, there's some merit behind that, but yeah, I, I, I too, to, to just go back to your original point, I also expected there to be like some bonus cutscene as part of this to maybe tie it in and, 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 and make it a little more clear why they were releasing this now. Cause I, to you and me and Jason, it's pretty obvious why they're releasing it now. Like I just said, they want people to know who Zach is and why he's significant to the story and how he's and, and, and have that backstory before going into rebirth uh, where he'll obvious to me play a big part. That could just be, that just could be a factor of maybe they don't have part twos. Zach's part in part two finalized yet. We don't know. I mean, the game's coming out supposedly at the end of this year. They absolutely have that ready to go. <laughs> a lot of games' stories develop as they're making the game. Not this late in development. Not this late in develop. Not 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 for modern games, Jason. When you consider when you consider there's voice work, when you consider there's motion capture, 
there's so much more work that like if it was a if it was a I game guess, made in the, I guess that's fair but yeah when it's a game made in like the 90s like yes you can get away with the making yeah because I was, I was gonna point out that not even Katase knew the cloud twist until like yeah way into one, the game's 100... development yeah 100 percent. the yeah. scenario is finalized for rebirth they know what they're doing at this rate otherwise that game is not coming out this year and they have to they have to say that sooner rather than later <laughs> well <laughs> yeah i know i know but anyway okay if uh you're coming back from skipping ahead this what we're no longer talking about remake you we are spoiler free from here on out and we're going to be wrapping up the show jason what is the kwasniki rating 4.5 out of 10 actually i'm surprised it's that high i thought we were going to say um, like 3 really... yeah i kind of did too <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i want i was going to give it a mercy and just give it a 5 but i cannot call this game average it is a below average game. It is grading to play. The story is awful with the exception of some golden nuggets, most of which are just pulled from the original. So. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I, again, I can't fully argue with you there. Okay. Delilah, what are you doing? What are you up to? You got any plugs? I have a job now, so I stream once a week on Twitch, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you were ever watching me, now everything's different. Um, And I still do YouTube stuff. I just released like my top 10 game of the year, most anticipated. So nice stuff is still happening and it makes me tired now. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. Um, Jason, you doing anything? You got anything you want to share? No. Okay. (laughs) That doesn't really work because we're not doing video. If people are listening to this, which most people do as a podcast, they can't see me lean into the mic. So everybody who's listening, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Thank you for your very dramatic uh, audio pause. That's that's great. (laughs) Great dead air. Love this show. (laughs) Yeah, you can edit that out. (laughs) Oh, no, I'll leave it in. I'm leaving it in so that you have a reminder of what you did. Um, I got nothing to plug, but you can follow me on Twitter at Nibblehymie, and you can follow Delilah on Twitter at Asasina underscore son. You can follow Jason on Twitter at Salvaquaz, but don't follow him because he doesn't remember he has Twitter. Who knows? I'm amazed Twitter is still fu- as functional as it uh, as it is today, but it is slowly breaking down, and uh, we'll see how that story develops. <laughs> um, if you like the show you like reap the spoils if you liked this episode please if you're listening on youtube thank you leave us a like uh leave us a comment tell us what you liked tell us what you didn't like about this game about this episode um and please share the show subscribe to the channel hit that subscribe button share the show with your friends your family and your pets and your kids uh maybe not your kids i don't know we say we say bad words a lot um, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. Please rate and review the show. Five stars preferred. Leave us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. And if you listen on Spotify, leave us a rating. I don't remember. I, I still haven't looked into whether or not Spotify has like a more thorough reviewing like thing or if it's just ratings. But leave us feedback like whatever. However you listen to us, leave us feedback. It really helps us grow. It helps us get better at doing this. and. We really appreciate it. We love engaging with people. More and more people have been talking to us um, and, and, and engaging with us. Actually, Delilah, who is that? Who is the guy that uh, that that sent you uh, 
that reached out to you just his first name i think oh, it was yeah. liam right yeah that sounds yeah. right yeah shout out to liam sent us a, a a lovely email really really made my day when when delilah yeah. shared that with us um thank you so much if you're listening to this episode if you're not then you know i'll thank you again you know what liam i'm gonna pretend and maybe you are that you're liam neeson and you listen to our show <laughs> thank you liam next, neeson next next spoiler cast is on the movie taken no i'm just kidding i don't want to talk about taken or it's 15 sequels and television show did that have, there was a television show too wasn't there for taken no not to my knowledge i'm positive that there was hold i've on. never actually watched any of the movies so i, I am don't know. gonna i am gonna hold up ending this show just so i can find out if there was indeed a television show based on the movie taken i'm like fairly certain that it was taken franchise yes there was a prequel television series absolutely baffling wow cannot believe it okay uh, so yeah, that's the show. Hey, uh, Delilah, what's the next game we're talking about? Ah, uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, let's go! Dun dun yeah. dun dun, the greatest song in all of video gaming. That, it is a pretty fucking good song, <laughs> I gotta say. There are some uh, great covers of that song I'm on so Spotify. Excited. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, or Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence, I guess, if you have, like, the subsistence version. Mm. Uh, I don't think that adds any, like, story stuff, so I... I Think, no, like, but realistically... it plays plays very differently. See, I'm kind of thinking about trying to play the original release in with its fixed camera angles and everything. I think you to want to? I, but... I know. Yeah. I've I've tried before, and trust me, I I there's a reason I haven't. I mean, it that all way. of us here played the original when it came out, so I think so. I didn't play it when it came out. Oh, you but did. I, I, I have. I've tried to play the original iteration with the fixed camera angles, and I've not beaten that that version. I've beaten I've beaten the subsistence version many many times, but not never the original with the fixed camera. I mean, I'm being I'm being hyperbolic. Obviously, like having come from the games having fixed cameras, it wasn't a huge issue to me. But a lot of people didn't like it at the time. I mean, I look. I, I Metal Gear Solid Two is one of my favorite games of all time, and it has yeah, that exactly. My, yeah, my point exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 rough playing the original version of Snake Eater. It's just because the design changes. So we don't need to talk about this now. We'll talk yeah, about we're, this. We're getting into our next episode already. But to be fair, one of my favorite games of all time. I imagine yeah, you guys very well, yeah. very excited to re- revisit Metal Gear Solid Three. It's a phenomenal video game, and I hope you tune in to listen. I hope you play it. Uh, so you got that fresh perspective. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for stopping by. Combat result or no, sorry, shit. Conflict resolved. We didn't bring up that at all. Oh god. I was trying to suppress it. I should have when we started talking about this game, I should have oh. said activating combat mode. Yeah. Oh activating my god. Activating combat mode. You could just edit it. Honestly, okay. I was trying to just blast through the gameplay, like all my grapes with it as fast as possible. Because I knew that you wanted to wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Uh, Conflict resolved. Goodbye, everyone.